Oh, Lord, you guys could probably hear that music, can't you? I have not hosted a space since they integrated that. Uh, invite to co-host for Mr. Colt over here. Hello, friends. Hi, Illustrata, Bean, King, Erdome. Hi, hi. Black, how are you, sir? Mr. Mr. Colt, can you hear me? Mr. Colt? Okay, how about now? Uh-oh, there you are. All right. The Twitter lag situation is always fun, but I'm How's here. How are you? How's it going? Hey, by the way, I got a mic. I'm not sure if you can tell the difference if I speak really nicely like this, but... Honestly, your microphone has always been really nice. Um, I have a super duper fancy one. It's a uh, a baby blue bottle, very fancy, like five hundred fucking dollar mic, and I still haven't integrated it with my PC because I'm that asshole. Uh, what did you get? I got what you just said. I think. That's. I think it's a it's yeah. a blue. Yeah. It's a blue. Uh, is it a baby bottle or which one? I'd have to ask my wife that, Kino. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I thought, I thought, can we can we joke about me being your wife yet? <laughs> no, let's not do that. Don't spread any more conspiracy theories, my God. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, hi friend. Um, but, 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 it's been I love so how there's. I think there's two people in this room that knows what that reference is, and I think yeah. we should just keep it to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do that. We'll just do that. Um, yeah. Kino and I are not married, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Anybody <laughs> was wondering, that's not not the case. No, it is not the case. I have a partner. You got your own thing going. It's good. It's good. I need to uh, invite you guys over for pho eventually someday. Okay, so I started making pho, and what I'm gonna start doing because like I have like a ceremonial green tea set. I'm making pho. I make dumplings. Like I am living my mm. best fucking life. So, mm. and I started inviting friends over. I don't usually do that, but I started inviting friends over. So now we're treating them like, uh, you know, to pho and ceremonial green tea. And I'm just like, I'm living my best life out here. I'm all about that. I'm all about ceremonial anything. Yes. To be honest with you. So, I'm all about ceremonial everything. We can do all kinds of things like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. But yeah, just just living my best life. How's um? Oh yeah, I started doing uh, yoga and stuff like that too. So things are mm. things are like I'm trying to just up the uh, the self care elements. Um, just because oh yeah, the past year and a half, it's uh it's been hard. What do you do for self care, Black? We've never actually talked about that. Um, I smoke a lot of weed at night. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna keep it real. No, I I definitely um. I, I do some meditating here and there. I used to do it a lot more. Um, I tend to go on like daily walks with my wife and I, we kind of break out of the work from home situation. But then outside of that, um, working out, um, it's been tough to do that because the weather here has been nasty. So it's been hard to get outside or even like I've got a gym in the garage, but it's tough because it's like just so cold out. So I'll throw on a, um, throw on a backpack, throw some weights in it. And we've got four stories here with like six flights of stairs in our place. So I just basically just climb our stairs. So that sounds crazy. I know, but I can get like a thousand feet of elevation gain in, in about 30 minutes, um, climbing the stairs in our house. So that's kind of, <laughs> everyone's gonna be like, that's not self-care, <laughs> but, but it is. That's, that's my version of maybe masochistic self-care. I don't know. Oh, it but. totally is. I, you know, I had 60 pounds on my back sometimes doing photography in Rome and like rock climbing for me. Rock climbing is my, 
uh, well, it used to be, I suppose, my um, uh, my self-care elements. Like I, I, I totally get that. I'd really like to start climbing again, but my body is broken. Uh, I have been, so I've been doing uh, massage therapy for about a year and now I'm seeking yoga and just like my legs are busted up, but I've really started seeing some progress there. So it's, it's really frustrating. Like yeah. I want to get back on the wall, but yeah, it's just small steps right now, you know? That mobility is probably the thing I do the least, the, the least amount, but no, I need to do really? the most. You know, yeah, I like even when I was, um, I mean, I was a pretty serious Olympic weightlifter and powerlifter um, years ago, and um, mobility was like always that thing I fucking hated. Like I hated doing that. I would love to just walk in the gym and just start lifting. That's what I would do. I, I would warm up, but I would barely stretch and like it'd be fine for like six weeks until I blew out my quad or something. Cause I don't know why, but I, I have to like really, really like push myself. And what I'll do is, um, especially after spaces like these, or even like the new Renaissance show, I, after the call, I will literally get up from my desk and I will lay on the floor and I'll stretch for like 20 minutes. Cause that's how I kind of have to like check my brain. But, um, that's usually, that's actually probably the only, mobility habit that I have is right now is after these spaces, I stretch in the floor for like 20 minutes. Good. And I know it's a bit of a meme that, you know, you've got like big, big, muscular, strong, strong people and you've got like <laughs> super strong, but flexible and lean people. And I used to be one of those like flexible, uh, lean, strong people because I was a fucking rock climber, you know? And Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I like I love lifting weights, but I, I never really figured out that that balance. I only figured out that I like climbing walls therefore i do the thing that i like to do but probably, <laughs> if I go to the gym you will not find me doing cardio i hate cardio i am bored by it i am already snoring thinking about it but weights i love me some weights <laughs> i know i um i kind of took the opposite approach i just like picking heavy shit off the ground um but I did build a rock climbing bouldering wall in my gym when we lived in North Carolina. We had, it was like, I had this, um, like a car garage that I basically just turned into a gym. I had like an Olympic weightlifting, um, platform and we built, uh, the like 12 foot by maybe one section was like 10 feet and the other section was maybe like 16 or 18 feet of rock climbing grid walls. You could just like move everything around you wanted to. And I would, I would do those. I would do that pre and post lifting to build up grip strength more than anything else. And it wasn't crazy. It was just, you know, a 90 degree wall, but it was enough to, you know, have a pad down and that sort of thing. But you'd get like this crazy grip strength, especially after doing like deadlifts or something like your grip would just be like completely blown out. Um, but I'm, all, I'm just like a big guy and like rock climbing. I've, I love it. If we were to watch any sport in our house, it's like IFSC. We'd love watching rock climbing. I, I love watching it, but it's like, I'm just too big of a guy and, that's never been my forte. Deadlifting 500 pounds was easier than climbing like 20 feet on a wall. So. And you got to be limber for that shit too. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Should we get this thing started? Um, Welcome to the training hour, everyone. Yeah. Um, we're discussing work. <laughs> we're, we're lifting in here. Um, yeah. To, uh, Joe and Jeff that just came in here. Uh, Jen, hi. It's good to see you. Uh, Abraham, I haven't seen you in a minute, too. Hi, friends. Um, Steph, I can't remember if I say, had said hi to you just yet, but hi. Hello, everybody. Um, Mark.t, Arrow, mm, uh, the crew. Whole crew. I haven't met them just yet, but I'm excited if I get to today. 
Um, so yeah, um, it's been a minute since I have hosted one of these. So if I'm a little fragmented, hi, it's been a minute. Uh, hi, Quantum, um, the not AI artist. Hello, Ella. Good to see you, friends. All right. Um, so uh, to my introverts and my nonverbal communicators real quick, anybody who is nervous, English is a second language, or just heckin' busy, um, above, I have pinned a tweet for you to ask any questions that you have, leave any feedback. Just if you're not able to talk, um, there is a tweet up there for you to write whatever you want in there. Um, but, but it's been so long, Black Label, what the heck? Um, what am I supposed to do now? Welcome everybody in the room. I already did that. So um, let's just roll into it then. Um, welcome to our marketing space, Rendos. Uh, this is for anybody under the creative umbrella, whether you are a digital or traditional artist, photographer, sex worker, musician, streamer, author, web two, web three, what the heck ever, you are more than welcome here. Um, let me again direct your attention to the first pin tweet above. Um, if you are not able to speak, please use that tweet. This is going to be an open stage and open discussion. So if you do want to request vibe on stage, um, contribute your thoughts, you are more than welcome to do that and we will get you up here. Uh, if this is your first time here, hello, welcome. Um, I am Kino. This is my host, Black Label Art Cult. Is that what we're calling you still or have you like changed up your, uh, your thing? That feels like 20 years ago, oh. but no, I just changed up my handle like two weeks ago. Is it, um, what do we call you now? To be shorter call me you can call me black if you want i think i'm just like more lean more efficient and also it's my url to my website which is an amazing thing so now i don't have to link anything anywhere in any posts and be uh downgraded by the algos now i have my url on everything i say everywhere so i'm pretty stoked about that smart 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 um big brain <laughs> very big brain so in order to discuss the best marketing strategies i do want every voice represented especially because today we're talking about value and I don't know about you guys, but uh, value to me takes many different forms. And I want to make sure that we have all kinds of con uh, contrib uh, bleh, contributions to how we're thinking about value, especially with the addition debate. Um, so please share the room by clicking on the bubble on the bottom right of this space and hit retweet. You can also retweet it throughout the space, uh, just using the top if you would too. Um, real quick, uh, Bean, Bean's still in here, right? Bean, I'm an asshole. I didn't make a big deal out of this on Monday. Uh, hi, we have Bean, Bad Bean, um, who is an AI artist and just like, d d d I love, I, I just, I love you. You're smart. Um, sorry, I'm really bad at complimenting people. Um, Bad Bean is our new moderator in the creative industry discord. And she just like came in swinging today about, um, helping me with, uh, with hashtags and things like that like help me um not necessarily plan this space but i don't know it was just like collaborative and, and really cool so i'm just i'm very excited for you to uh, to be here beanie um other than that the only thing that i have to boost and i'll, I'll go into a little bit later um but i do have something called a 30-day social media growth challenge that is coming um, signups are currently available um, where you can get signed up, excuse me, to get notified when signups happen um, because I'm taking a limited amount of people just for this first month in February because I want to make sure that, you know, the product that I'm making works for everybody. So if you're a member, don't worry about it. You already have access to it when you sign up on the website. Um, but for everybody else, I'm taking very limited signups and that's going to start January 31st. Um, I should probably talk about what it is. 
excuse me, um, the, uh, the 30 day social media growth challenge effectively is an interactive and highly personal way to track what you're doing and think critically about how you're using social media. And it doesn't have to be Twitter. This works with your Instagram, TikTok. You can also use it, um, for like multiple platforms too, if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 30 days or well, a total of five weeks because there is a bonus week, um, where I am going to to help you manage your own behaviors, think critically about social media. And if you're interested in signing up for notifications, um, there is a pinned tweet in this space and you're more than welcome to sign up right now. Um, but I'll talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about that a bit later. Um, but Black, do you have anything to, uh, to boost real quick before we get into this? Yeah, I would love to boost. Um, I So I'm in, we just got into the Messinante Fine Art Gallery in Rome. Once again, my second time having um, stuff in Rome, which is kind of crazy. And um, I would love for everyone to go check out my piece. I have it penned. Um, it's called Consumed. It's a kind of a, a um, abstract animation piece, kind of a social commentary on media consumption. I know really big brain stuff. So would love for you guys to check that out. If you share it out, that'd be amazing because it's live in Rome right now. Why not? And also to add, I am speaking with um, a symposium of sorts on Friday, also in Italy, uh, called the Seneca. They are a consortium of like a hundred and something universities and research centers. And it's going to be all about AI and things like that. It's like an eight hour, six hour long thing. And I'm going to be speaking on um, Friday morning, my time on artistic expression through AI and the arrival of the new Renaissance. So I'm really stoked about that. And I feel super honored. I didn't really realized what it was at first. And then as I got into it, I was like, oh my God, this is like this like crazy thing. I almost feel like I'm doing like a TED talk or something for the entire university structure of all of Italy. It's like the wildest thing. So anyways, I'm really stoked about that. Nothing to really boost there, but I'm just really stoked about it. Boost away. I'm so excited for you, especially because this is like, it feels like it's the, I'm watching a live pipeline of you being on stage at a TED talk. So it's, it's really exciting for me too. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. It will be recorded and I'll, I'll, I'll share it out. Um, but I'm stoked about it. Yeah. It's like a 30 minute spot. And then, um, I think like 15 or 20 minutes of like Q and a directly with, uh, with me afterwards. So it's gonna be pretty wild. Wild. Um, yeah, congratulations. So the topic today then is sure powerful ways to promote your value. And there's a little subsection about this, but I want to dig into that is the paradox of additions. Um, but the, let me let me start with the reason that we chose this one as our first space going into January. Um, we're we're talking. I, we've we've seen a lot of dialogue lately about editions, and I.
Amelie, are you uh, doing a sad face because you can't hear Kina because I can't either. And I'm hoping maybe if she rugged, I'm not, or I'm speaking over her right now. I'm not quite sure. Everyone's giving thumbs up. Does thumbs up mean that she did rug or thumbs up means that I can't hear her? Sad faces and down thumbs. I did DM her telling her that she rugged. So um, let's continue to hang. I will kind of fill in and see if maybe she jumps back in here. We were on a roll. God, we had such like energy rolling into that. Let's see. Hold on. Bringing Ella up here, maybe she can shed some light. Hey, that's me connected now. Yeah, she did rug. It went completely silent. Okay. So it's not just you. Um, I guess um, I hope she can sort it out because I think if she tries to step down or leave or anything, then that's going to kill the space, which is not what we need. And that's um, yeah, not ideal. Um, it's fine. So she said, um, okay, she's going to be right back. She's coming back, I believe. Okay. Um. But she said that she had a, a power surge, I think. We're kind of talking on Discord. Yeah, so um, I'll fill in for a second. I, I, you know, we were talking yesterday about we were going to talk about all this, obviously. So um, we were having this conversation about open editions and the, um, the note in the original post about uh, the paradox of open editions is really about the idea that kind of like oversupply um, and the eventual possible under demand of those things. Kina, are you back? I are hope I'm back. I've uh, never had to figure out okay. how to join my own space. Well, I'm glad that it stayed because that's happened to me before and it's just yeah, gone. So I'm glad I'm glad that you're actually back. Yeah. yeah. But we got Ella and Amelie up here now too because I couldn't tell if it was just me or you. So. <laughs> I'll buy your lonesome. So I have no idea what you just said. So I'm actually going to wait and get up to speed. To I basically said that. nothing for like 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I had rugged and I was like, okay, do I, do I talk? But no, basically we can kind of pick right back up where we were because I don't think anyone heard you. I didn't. So. No worries. Um, so just, I, I guess, finishing my thought around defining what value is then I, I want to get like at least some sort of foundation for the rest of this discussion. And that is what is value? What does it mean to particular people? And especially what is it? What are the differences and the different values for our different collectors? Um, most of you have already read the collector values and personas that I publish. There's nine different, you know, reasons that people collect effectively. And this is one way of, um, of formatting your your copy or formatting like how you tweet and uh, who you're tweeting to like who your target audience is who your dream collector is and part of why I, i'm bringing that up though is because when we're talking about editions um we're obviously and and the reasons why people think that editions are bad it's because they usually are looking at artists from a you know an investment value so they don't want you spreading out the the amount of assets that you have um on the blockchain because they want that like exclusivity and yet we have seen through the past year of people minting editions like crazy including freemans that if done well, if done right, if done thoughtfully, then it can be an enormous asset for artists. So what I want to start with then is um, 
I suppose, what, what is the difference then between um, valuing yourself personally, valuing yourself professionally, and then I want to take it to how do we do the math of making sure that how we move within the space um, protects the, the value that we have as an artist? So I, I guess, um, Black Label, do you have any, um, Black, excuse me, um, do you have any commentary on how you think artists should be filtering what they think of as the value of their work. And can we contextualize that to both how we value ourselves personally and how we value ourselves professionally? Wow. Some big questions. Um, I, I was actually thinking about this last night after you and I talked and I don't have, I I wanted to kind of have a answer that's like mathematic because I was thinking about, I wonder if there's a way, this is, I'm not going side, side topic here, but I, I was wondering if there's a way that we can determine demand and value based off of engagement and overall like sales metrics and some things of that nature where like, I think that that's one of the big, so the, the real answer here, I think is it's around the idea of your overall demand, right? And the way that, and that, that doesn't like, but that's not personal value. I mean, more like value in terms of like your sales and what you have going on on that front. But I think it's more of a matter of like, you have to understand demand and supply as like the basis economic structure of what's going on here in this space where, and just because you can do an open edition doesn't necessarily mean you have the demand to do so or the demand to achieve the level of success that others have achieved in the last few weeks. This is like, you know, the kind of trend slash meme of doing OEs here the last couple of weeks. And it's a really good thing, but I think that, what ends up happening is like my, my fear, I guess, like my, my biggest fear when, it, when I see this is people getting an idea that, oh, so this is, this is how I go make a lot of money then. And I think that that's like the wrong way to look at it because it, it really, everyone's on their own journey and everyone's been here for a different amount of time and everyone has a different amount of demand and people that are looking at their work and their price points and their floor price. And all these things are variables. And my fear is that, we end up creating oversupply because of something like the mechanics of doing open editions. And you end up in a situation, um, you end up in a situation where like, I think it's almost like the way it was last year where um, the kind of PFP world of things were creating, you know, tens of thousands of, of different versions of what they were doing and all these people were buying in and you had this huge influx and the market peaked. And then everyone's just left at the end of that with nothing uh, because, and everyone's coming out still with like larger, huge, like addition projects and all this stuff. And it creates an oversupply. And so I think that's one of the, because then the value is not there. So I think there has to be in the world of art in general, the way that I look at it, and this is different than, than other applications. So I'm speaking directly to artists in this case. I just look at that and I, and my own, it's just more like a word of caution, like just be aware of the way that the addition mechanic operates, because if you're in a situation, this is the last thing I'll say, I'll wrap up. But I think if you're in a situation where you have like decent demand, you're making some sales like here and there, whatever you do an open edition, let's say you make like a hundred sales, like fantastic, right? That's also a hundred people that would have potentially bought your work as well prior to that or after that. And so you're, you essentially, if you don't have like tens of thousands of followers or a hundred thousand followers or something, and you're like in a smaller account, the problem is, is that now you just exhausted your entire demand supply 
Like with, as far as like the actual people that are demanding your work, who are interested in buying, you've diminished your entire buying supply. So what do you do next week? You can't do another open edition because most people who bought aren't going to go buy again, just from the, the dynamics of conversion rates and everything else. And then you have a situation like if you go to a one-to-one, one, if there was someone like waiting in the wings of and wanting to get, a, get one of your pieces, you potentially just sold them something for cheaper the week before or the two weeks before or whatever, and they may not come by too. I don't think that's, I don't, I'm overgeneralizing, but my point is, is that if everybody does it, there's, there's a lot, and from my viewpoint, there's a hell of a lot more people selling art than there is buying it as far as like collectors go. And so you have to think about the buying pool, like how many actual buyers are there for these things? And if everyone does open editions and there's tens of thousands of different editions of everything out there, that's going to hit like every person who'd be interested in buying something anyways. And obviously some people buy more, some buy less, whatever. But then like in a, in a month from now, if everyone's on open editions, like who, how many of those people are gonna come back and then buy something for triple the price for a one-on-one? -one? It's gonna be a lot lower number. Obviously there will still be people that do it, but it's just a matter of like the way that the mechanics work from the like overall market standpoint and the way that it could potentially diminish value for what it is you're actually putting out there. So that's like a really long explanation, but that's, that, that's my thought on it. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, and I hope that I'm a little bit louder now. Um, hey, Gabe. Hey, Crypt. Hey, Aaron. Good to see you, friendos. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to get to you in just a sec. Um, but, 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 but. So I, I actually usually teach editions. I, I shouldn't say usually because it, it obviously depends on the artist, where they are, and um, how they're thinking about moving in the space. But for the most part, I have taught editions kind of like marketing. And what I mean by that is creating a converted audience pool who are now vested in your future. So for example, we, we tend to think of, of, of maybe, maybe this isn't a, a, the best analogy, but we tend to think of YouTube as just a content platform, right? Where you make videos and you sure, like maybe convert them to something else. But for the most part, we think of YouTube you create, uh, you create videos, you make, um, you make money off of ad revenue, done, done, that's it, right? But YouTube is actually an amazing platform for marketing and conversion. And if we're thinking about editions in a very similar way, effectively what you're doing is creating an audience pool at a lower, um, at a lower price point, um, who again, are, are vested in the future of work. And if you make it gamified or you give them a personal ownership in that edition or in the future of how you use utilities with those editions, then I think that that can be enormously powerful, just as much as say an email list. And again, what what I'm what the the um, the relationship that I'm trying to draw when I bring up that email list real quick. Um, is that when we think about the future of Web3 and when we think about technology and where technology is going, in fact, we've already seen it slash we're definitely going to see it here soon. And effectively, like not quite emailing people, but emailing different wallets um, to let them know that you have something new or there's a utility or they can connect it to some other form of technology, then that audience pool, that converted audience pool that you have who has bought that edition, um, you are now able to convert to whatever the new thing that you want to monetize. So I, I think that um, low entry cost 
um, met with the the future of where where blockchain technology is going. I see additions as effectively a, a marketing tactic to convert people to a, a longevity of however you're going to move through uh, throughout your career. Um, Ella, you were here first. So I'm going to call on you and then uh, Jeff, if that's OK. Yeah, I guess it's um, a lot of good things have been said already on this topic. Um, it is a really difficult one and you certainly can't afford to flood the market with constant additions. If you want to do that, go to Tezos, you know, because that's the culture there. Um, you do have to think about your long term strategy in this space. However, that being said, it, it's not just about um, about selling and how many people buy your work. The point is. Most of your additions buyers will be your friends. They won't be investors. And it is absolutely worth doing that as um, as part of your networking and outreach in the space. Um, it isn't just about art collectors that are something separate to us. Um, a lot of collectors in this space are artists. And the old foot in the door technique, you know, once you've sold them a small thing, you may later down the line sell them a big thing if you've got that relationship there. Um, I did an open edition recently. It's the only one I've ever done and I won't be doing another one for a long time. But I'm really pleased with how it went. And also that I think probably about 80, 90 percent of the buyers were people that I knew, which was lovely. But yeah, it, it is so much more than just about your cold, hard sales strategy. It is also about the connections you build through doing them. After you, Jeff. I love it. I was going to say almost the same thing you said it better. So I'll just kind of add a little spin. Um, but the the real thing I wanted to kind of point to was that Tezos um, has had this dynamic of like, you know, uh, real cheap mints forever. And that, that was kind of the thing it, because of the gas prices being so much cheaper on that blockchain. It was um, and with, you know, Hicket Nunk and Object, it just was like a really easy thing to make a ton of additions and the way they handle it is different. They would just mint a bunch of them and burn the ones that didn't get sold. Well, it's the same exact thing with, uh, with the manifold open edition. You just have the ability to set a timer on it. And so I would say that, um, that it, it, like, it's a very fun way to, to interact with collectors because if you have a timed open edition, like open, you know, uh, <laughs> like a true open edition is minting a hundred copies of something and listing all 100 of them on a marketplace and waiting for someone to buy them. Um, but the way that, and, and you won't, you won't sell like three of those, but if you do like an open edition and price it the same and put a time limit on it, you might sell, you know, 50, 60 of them. I mean, okay. Like that's just, I'm making up numbers here. This doesn't apply to anyone. And so just, uh, you know, but, but the, but the point is that, people like doing a thing where they click a button and get a thing versus going to pick it out and buying it and adding it to the cart. It actually is a different behavior and people are more likely to buy that thing. And so like, even if the price is really cheap, I, I just, and, and I, and I want to echo what Ella was saying, because I think it's really important to note that she said, I've only done one of them and I don't plan to do it again for a long time. And that's a super super important insight like because it goes right into what black was saying too that if you do one of these every week you are cutting yourself short and you're basically el eliminating your market for one of ones and and whatnot because you get people interested and if they miss the window those what those open editions that there's you know now 60 of 
there might be some value to those. You might 2X, someone might put one on the market and someone's like, you know what? I, I don't have one of those pieces. They don't have anything else available. I'll get one of those open editions that's on the secondary now. And that could help, you know, find a new collector who's then interested, like you said, to buy one of one at a at the standard price or what you regularly charge. So I I, I did want to kind of bring it to the Tezos thing because it, it's a it's a marketplace that has had that dynamic for a long time. And there's a lot of people who like, like black yourself. I went to look at your Tezos and um, and there was that uh, that horror piece that you have that's kind of cheap. And that was like the only thing that was really in my budget. So I picked that up. But like but like that's that's the deal. If there's only one thing available and someone wants to collect from you, then that's what they have to pay. So it, it's just an interesting kind of way of approaching it. Like if you want to have a lower end buy in, that's maybe something with additions. And there's a cheap collector like me who doesn't have uh, bags. <laughs> it all helps, you know. It adds to the to the total to the total uh, scenario. And and I would I'd like to have one of your one of ones eventually, but that's gonna wait. What piece did you get, man? I just gotta ask. I'm trying. To... It was the one where there was like four monsters. Oh, is it the um, the Halloween poster one? Yeah. Yeah, that was like that's like literally. I think that may be the only thing I even have available. On there. I appreciate the that. Only, it, yeah, it's the only thing under three hundred Tez. But um, <laughs> <laughs> other people are like flipping stuff on there. That, that I did that for a um, a Halloween gallery thing with Illustrata and Abyss Labs. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. But that but that's to my point that like buying those like little things. If I can get one of those of an artist that I've been wanting to collect, and and then maybe sometime in the future I can pay attention and catch one of their drops. You know, that'd be great. But but having those little ends is really important. And that is actually kind of where I wanted to go with the next point of the topic is building hype, using pricing to build demand. And then, of course, like other marketing tactics that you can engineer into the way that you use edition. So um, Jeff has already named several of them, uh, timing definitely being one of them, but also urgency, uh, which Ella mentioned. So by, by, um, sorry, by saying that um, I'm only going to mint this one time and sure it's an open edition and sure it might put a ton of assets into the blockchain, but there is a limited amount of time. So you need to act now, you know, obviously, 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 obviously that does something to our monkey brains um, that uh, increases the demand of the edition. And again, if we're thinking about editions as marketing and uh, converting people long-term and, you know, playing 40 chess with uh, uh, the longevity of your career, then additions when done intelligently can be an enormous asset, not only, of course, for your flo uh, floor price, but for the longevity. And what, what I'm interested in right now is actually talking about like use cases, if we can. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, Black, you, you said that uh, Delta recently had an edition mint, I believe. I believe it was an open edition. And then we have, um, although it was an edition, we had um, 009, who quite a couple of months ago minted, I think, a thousand, um, a thousand pieces on Tezos at a very, very low cost. But 
that meant that, you know, now he has an enormous, an enormous audience pool of people who were priced out of the, uh, the other pieces of work. And there's uh, another artist I need to, uh, to look at that, like I am now invested in, and I have now been able to purchase because like Jeff, um, I don't have bags, but I still want to collect and I want to support artists. And now because they ensured that their, uh, that the, the, the addition price, um, is uh I, I, sh I shouldn't say lower I'm looking for a different word but that it's that it's lower for you know plebs like me um now I'm able to to join their community and the utilities of uh, of whatever they have so I, I what I'm what I'm wondering is if we have any use cases that we can kind of analyze real quick black and talk about what they did within their marketing so like for example did they build hype did they um, really just ensure that the the pricing is so accessible that it, it like they kind of did the marketing for them um, because their demand was already high or like what else did did people do to sell out of their editions in you know five minutes i think it's really i mean that's a tough one because i it's really about the demand that was built was built off of a lot of sales and I'm, i'll just speak on i mean i don't want to i hate like talking about specific artists but i mean delta did really well with his drop and congratulations to him highly and extremely deserved uh, from all the hard work he's done here for himself and the community as well but um i think that it's just a matter of at some point, I kind of think of it as almost like the analogy I think of in my mind is surfing when you you have a board and you're out in the wave and you see the wave coming and you're trying to paddle as fast as you possibly can to catch it. And at some point, there's this action of getting up on the board. And that's that's when you're like making sales on a regular basis. And then then you can kind of get up on it and ride it through. And I think that is where you can do open editions and things like that, where you have, you've built up so much demand that there are people waiting for you to mint. Like then like if you're sold out and people are waiting for you to mint something, then you are now in a position of having higher demand than you did supply, basic economics, right? So if you go out there and you don't have a lot of sales or you're doing a lot of open editions or things like that, you have all the supply, it's difficult to go meant something else because then people can, or the, the, then you don't have the people lined up to buy it. So I think that's really where it comes. Like for me and my, for in my journey, that's sort of where I'm trying to get to where I'm sold out on all these places right now because I'm not minting all the time and I haven't done open editions and I'm waiting until I see demand and I'm, I'm building that as I go as well. I can't just wait until someone DMs you or something. Obviously you have to put yourself out there and take that, um, that effort and that, you know, I wouldn't say a risk, but you're putting yourself out there to not make a sale essentially by every time you make a mint. Right. But if you get to the point where you put something out and it sells quickly and the next time it sells quicker and the next time you're selling the same day and the next time you're selling the moment you drop it and you do that for like a week or two, couple of weeks and you get people like, Hey, when's your next drop? When's your next drop? When's your next drop? Then, then you're at a point where, you know, um, now you can do an open edition. I actually don't really know if it has anything to do with marketing per se. I think it's more of a matter of like understanding the market. Like I think that's really, I think it's understanding your market as an individual creator, what the demand is around your work and then riding that wave. Like you have to like be on the edge of that the entire time in order to evolve with it, like scale with it, you know, and then you hit that moment. And then I think there's like this after that point, I've had a couple of conversations with people who've done open editions here in the last few weeks that have been successful at it. After that point, it's ironic because afterwards it's like, okay, so now what? Like, do I, 
do something else? Do I put out another piece? Do I put out, you know, like some of them are on super rare. Like, do I, should I put another piece on super rare? And it's like, well, maybe there is that kind of like huge bag holding collector. That's like been waiting and they didn't want an addition, but they're waiting for that next like three ETH mint that you put out. So I think like there's different markets, right. But, and that demand shows that. And I also think that it can also increase demand as far as like the higher end sales go, if you ride that correctly. But if you were to do, you know, a, um, a 500, if you sell 500 um, additions and then the next day you try to do the same thing, well, there's 500 people, majority of them are not going to go buy another edition. So like you end up like burning through your buyer pool at the same time, even though some of those are artists and some of those are collectors and some of those are like middle ground. I, I, I am overgeneralizing to, to make a point, but I think there's, there's just a difference. The last thing I'll say is I think something that you mentioned before, um, I think there's an element of utility within this as well that I'm not really referring to. I'm really referring to like the art for art's sake side of making sales. But if you're doing open editions as a gateway into something else, I think that's a really great idea. Like I think that's something that's like, oh, for a dollar, you just get on this list of things. And because you are holding this thing, I don't think that's really a bad thing. I don't think that that's not in the same realm as when I'm referring to, um, increasing too much supply and not having enough demand like that's in a completely different world i think it's more about utility and if you can use that as leverage and as a stepping stone to something else then you should do that but again you still have to have some awareness of the demand of your brand and of your work and everything else in order to do that successfully because then again the last thing you want to do is do it and it doesn't work at all because then that diminishes any demand that you did have so i think people constantly look at that stuff and whether it's in this world of things or any world of things, stocks, bonds, or, you know, um, startups or businesses. Like if there's, you're walking by a coffee shop, but there's no one inside. Like you don't really want to go in. There's like, must be something wrong with the coffee. You know, it must not be great coffee. It's like that, Like you want to continue to ride the edge of being sold out and having demand so that other people continue to come in the door because they think that everyone else wants it. So therefore, as you said, our monkey brains are looking at that as something that is valuable to have or achieve or be a part of or whatever. So you have to constantly play that kind of, it's like a, it's ebb and flow, wax and waves back and forth, but you kind of have to like ride that edge in order to, what I would say in order to be successful with doing something like a huge open edition, you have to ride that to that point. So when it comes to riding the edge, I'm going to try and not make this as sexy as I can. Um, <laughs> do, do additions betray that Risk. demand? Do, do additions like betray that demand though? Or when, again, when done effectively, is it kind of more like, um, you know, building up pressure and then releasing uh, that bubble of demand and effectively giving the people what they want? Um, and I, I'd like to analyze that a little bit. But on top of that, there, there kind of seems to be a workflow, too. And the workflow seems to be, um, I question whether or not this this actually um, is is what it is, because there's, there's several means of betraying this. But the meta seems to be to build demand through careful one-one or limited minting, um, and then start thinking about additions and increasing your audience pool. But what about what happens on Twitter and your platform? Um, building your platform and adding value to the community that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the NFTs that you mint, but rather what you are doing for community, for collectors, whatever. Um, 
And I think that there's there's definitely something to be said for, I mean, of course, like <laughs> marketing, there, there's a, a million different ways that you can market yourself and contributing value to a community is merely one of them. Um, but what, what I'd like to um, focus on a little bit, though, is, is, is there a workflow? Is there effectively a pipeline until you, quote unquote, um, are allowed to, um, to mint editions and start thinking that way? Or do editions fit in with all kinds of different values, utilities while you build your platform, for example? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it goes back to community building and just giving value out there. I, I think that it's, everyone is on their own path. Like, I think that's one of the things here, that especially something I feel like I've learned through this whole process of being involved with all these things here. Everyone is on their own path. And I think trying to create a formula around that or define a formula around that is it's either wrong or it's littered with a lot of variables because everyone's doing their own thing. So I think if you can, if you have to see what demand you have with what, like some people have a really high collector demand. Other people have a really high community demand. Other people have a lot of like audience demand, you know? So I think like different people have different demands as far as like who's following them and what they want from being involved with that person. It's a, it's different. And those all vary as well by person to person, of course. So I think it's like, if you can, be aware of and identify what demand you have with your brand, with your product or service or art or whatever, then that allows you to better achieve a valuable result towards that group of people for the exact same thing that they're looking for from you. And so I think that's like, some people have like an education demand, right? Like, which is a completely different thing. Like people want like look at a certain person as someone who can teach them how to do something, but they may not go buy things from them. You know, or someone wants to listen, like someone wants to come listen to what I'm saying or what you're saying, Kino. It doesn't mean that they're, they're going to go buy something either. And there's also people that do that as well. So I think it's like there's a it obviously there's a spectrum there. But if you can identify my point is if you can identify what the demand is around you and your own personal brand ecosystem, then you can better achieve how to service that market. I sincerely think that artists who focus on three, only three different collector values and personas generally have a lot more success in the space. And I can go into that a little bit later, but um, I saw Anon unmute. So if that's okay, I'm going to check on him real quick and uh, then we'll go to Jeff. Hey, Kino, how's it going, GM? Hey, friends. Yeah, happy new year. Um, first off, I hate being the only one on stage raising my hand. So that's why I was like kind of tentative about it. It just seems so obnoxious, but I... Honestly, I scrolled every space that's going on right now, and I looked at the titles, and this is the one that I thought offered the most value, so that's why I joined. It's definitely a topic of interest to me, um, having spent a lot of time recently in the uh, digital art side of the Web3 space. Uh, I'm in Noble Cards, I'm in the Memes by 6529, and then just been connecting with the one-of-one one artists, like in DMs and, 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 you know, through just the clicks and whatever else, and, and hearing their own, uh, you know, uh, perspective. It, it's been really fascinating, right? Because uh, I really love what, I don't want to get your name wrong, is it, is it just, is it B-L-A-C? Yeah, black, black label, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'll refer to that asshole over there, anything in between. So I appreciate it. <laughs> so what, what, what 
Black was saying that there isn't like a right or wrong answer. I mean, that was perfect, right? Like that's the whole idea of creative expression is that no one should be putting you in a box. No one should be, you shouldn't have to be living up to any, you know, one set of expectations or standards. Um, that's the beauty of this space, right? And, and so when it comes to additions, I've given this a lot of thought because I've seen a ton of it recently. And there was a reason for this. Manifold came out and said, go mint something because if you don't, you're not going to be grandfathered in and uh, for the royalties with OpenSea or something like that, right? So everyone was like, oh, I'm going to go mint an open edition. I just want to get my art out there. I want to get my name out there. It's the holidays. Let me do a free mint. And it was cool, but it really did get me thinking about one, like, does is it not original, right? Like, is it is it not authentic? Like, are you doing it just because it's the trend and you see others doing it? Same with all these burn mechanisms and gamification of that side of the space. It's been really interesting to follow, right? Uh, Let's go is uh, a crazy example that sticks out because they started with an open edition on noble cards. And so right now you have a curation element to this. There's a cadence. Um, there's some sort of, uh, you know, accreditation that has been provided by noble cards to allow for this open edition to be so successful. And then immediately, immediately after that, they dropped a one of one on super rare. Now, granted, this isn't an anomaly. This doesn't happen with everyone, but it just goes to show that like, if it's authentic, if you're storytelling through why you are introducing additions earlier, why you've uh, another great example, Drift, right? So Drift did an open edition um, of him like on the bridge in the snow, and that was his first ever open edition. It, it went crazy. He then told people like, "There's no utility. It's not a mint pass. It's not going to do airdrops or anything. It's just like this was to open up my ability." Uh, this was to open up my accessibility to more collectors, right? And people, quite honestly, they frowned upon it because it was a point two mint and it minted a ton and then it went under mint, uh, you know, on the secondary. Whereas ready for this, he had a different edition where this one wasn't an open edition, but this was an edition recently with Noble Cards and he had one with 6529, the memes, he's in both. And interestingly enough, both those are doing really well. They're received well. Why? Because it's part of a curation. So I think that unless there is some sort of storytelling element of why you are dropping an addition just as an independent artist, there is going to be challenges with how the community perceives that. But if you're like actually doing so with uh, a curation or um, it's interesting, right? We have Chris in here, um, you know, uh, from with with Neon Cat, and we also have seen uh, DK uh, DK Walks do this as well, where they have. I be, I'm actually I'm not sure if Chris has one of ones, but I know that DK has one of ones, and that allowed as like a natural part of the storytelling to progress and their ecosystem to progress to introduce additions, right? So I feel like there there just has to be some sort of reasoning behind it, and and you have to understand the challenges going in that. By opening up to everyone, you're going to take on a certain level of like scrutiny depending on how you curate it or you know the storytelling aspect uh, associated. Yeah, I think that's like it's a fantastic perspective because you're not like it, it goes back to the mechanics, right? Because like the mechanics of doing that is not equal to everyone when everyone else fills in that formula with their own variables. Like it just it's just a facilitation device. It's not really like a method or a formula. It's just a way to do something 
But everything else that you have in your ecosystem completely dictates the methodology in which you need to go about using that facilitation device. And that's what that's what makes it unique or not unique or oversupplied or under demand or whatever. Like that, those are the things, those elements, like the fingerprint of your own unique expression or art or um, the market slash community that you're involved in or whatever the utilities are. Those are all the variables that have to go into it. And the open edition concept and it's just a mechanism, you know. I hope that Kino is still here. Are you still here, Kino? Maybe? Yes, I, I sent you a message on Discord. I was trying to tweet. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, cool. Got it. Sorry. You're, the next. little mute thing is gone, so I wasn't sure if you were actually there or not. So No, no worries. Pardon me. Uh, Jeff is next. I, I was just going to follow up on, um, on what Black was saying about identifying um, your demand. And coming from someone who's had very little experience doing this professionally, um, are there any kinds of tips or tools or ways? I mean, I've, I have, you know, had like my own kind of uh, sort of approach to this and my own experience with it. And I have identified some things that are my demand, but like for everyone else in the room, <laughs> I, I, I think these kinds of tips um, that can help us figure out what it is, right? Like, where can we go to get information? How do we pull people? How do we find that out in general so that we can act on it? Um, I mean, for me, I think it's my, my, not for me, but my answer to that is really, you have to like check the pulse of what you have going on. And if you put something out there, like I had, um, I'll, I'll just give an example. I had an artist um, who came into one of our new Renaissance spaces um, a couple of weeks ago and they were kind of new in the space. And then like they talked about their expression, all the stuff it was really great. And their art they had was good as well. And they DM me later and was like, hey, um, I'm thinking about putting out this like series or whatever. And there's like 200, like 200 editions of this thing. And I was like, and they hadn't had any sales or anything before that. And they had like maybe, you know, maybe a thousand followers or something. And like, maybe they have a like, huge demand. I don't know. But my point is, is like, I was like, honestly, it's probably too much. Like you put all this out. Like you have to think about, I think effort to sale, like how I would, you have to quantify effort to a sale. We're in like, let's, and let's ignore the landscape of people who have been very successful with open editions. Okay. Like if you're trying to, I would say like the average median, you have to think about how much effort and time there is. If you have a series, even just a series of say 10, 10 pieces that you put out at one time, now you have to go market 10 things and get 10 sales. Wherein if you, if you plan on putting 10 things out, but you only put one out, a week or something or every couple of days or whatever, or one until you make the sale. Now you're only marketing that one thing. So like the actual effort to a sale is significantly more one. It's more potent. And two, it's, it's, it's significantly more concentrated on the one thing you want to achieve rather than saying, Oh, here's like a bunch of these things. Can a bunch of people can buy this thing. I think that that's, it's just, it's harder to do that. But if you're in a situation like some people who have been built up and you know, they've been building themselves up, I should say, to the point where they're able to do that on a daily basis, now you know you have the demand for it. So if someone puts out, if they're if you meant and you're making a sale, let's say you meant once a day and every single day you're making a sale. And then on Wednesday you decide, now I'm gonna do two today. You do two today and then you make that sale. On Thursday you do three and you only make one sale. And you gotta wait for you, you see what I mean? Now you now you have a pulse on what the demand is. And I think that's how you it's not a secret formula. I think it's just a matter of like 
having awareness of how your sales are operating within the market over time. And then you can kind of gauge by like, well, I did this thing, nothing happened with, I did this thing, it sold immediately. Now you have, it also tells you which direction to go to as far as like style goes or whatever else and feedback. And you like all of us here in this space existing on Twitter, every single thing you do is an AB market test. Everything you do is like that. So the engagement you get, the feedback you get, the comments you get, the retweets you get, like all those things are signals as to which direction is resonating with people. And that doesn't necessarily mean, just as my little disclaimer, I don't think that means go in the direction of what people like. I think it's more of a matter of understand what people like, continue to operate and act through the passion and expression that you want to project out into the world and then meet in the middle. It's a trifecta. You know, you have to understand like what, what resonates with people just because you like it doesn't mean that people are going to buy it either. And if you actually want to make sales, you have to do things that people like, but it doesn't mean you have to do everything that, that everyone likes. So I think you have to find that there's a balancing act between what you're putting out versus what people want and how much you're putting out versus how many people want it. And those are two kind of like dynamic things are going to change constantly and slightly tweak. And you just have to kind of have like a pulse on that. Um, I hope that kind of answers the question. There's not, I don't think there's like a direct yeah. answer, but that to me is just it's a matter of being aware of what's going on and thinking about it like that. You have to have that, that perspective as you watch your sales and what you're putting out there and have that perspective of market demand and then seeing that demand. I yeah, have, I, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, sorry. I was just going to, I was going to uh, button it up and, and say like, yeah, this is like the, the way that like having the awareness of it and paying attention to it, I think is the most thing. First of all, get something out there, post your work. When you get feedback from people, listen to what that feedback is. When you see, you know, like comments on your things, like, like for me, that's been hugely influential to like, you know, pushing me to pursue one path versus another in terms of, I have so many creative ideas that like, if I'm going to focus on one thing and people are into it that I'm like, okay, now I can go for this one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like in context of like, of like now that gives me that push of like, Oh, this one's resonating. Whereas like, if I have 50 things going on, you know, that, that helps me figure out where to, to put the, uh, where to, where to put the, um, the focus, I guess. Um, but it, but like, but it does kind of go back to like what you were saying about, um, don't let that don't let it drive you you know because i think in context of like don't let that make the decision of what to put out but also pay attention like yeah it's really it's really a fine line like pay attention to it and notice it but like still pursue your particular artistic expression so it's a just just real quick that this is what i meant by like the surfing analogy like this is why i think about it like that that's not just like a thing to go do like i think about it as like you have to if anyone's ever tried to surf, like you have to like, you have to be so aware of the momentum behind you. You're balancing the, the speed in which you're moving your center of gravity. Like there's all these different things that you're trying to do in that one moment of just standing up on the board and getting onto that wave. Like, and that's what I mean by like having a total awareness of your movement and your weight and, and what's happening around you in order to get up onto that. And then you can ride it out. And there's still all these elements of balance and speed and everything else too, right? But that's that's why I think about that often. I'm not just saying that in the space. Like I think about that all the time. It's like, how, I'm trying to stand up on that board and a lot of people are too. And some people are just started paddling and some people are riding into, you know, riding the wave out. So I think you just have to find where you are in that journey and there's be aware of all the things that are happening at one time. Um, and real quick, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to get to the hands. Um, 
so uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of thoughts. Um, I, I really do think that if, if we were to define the first thing that I would recommend people do, it is choose again, those three values or those three personas, and then start your AB testing that way, figure out what people, why people rather are attracted to your work, why they're collecting and focus on those and then pivot from there. Um, let me get to the hands, but uh, first, because we're at the hour, um, if you guys don't mind retweeting the space, I would super heckin' appreciate that. And just as a reminder, this is an open discussion. So if you have thoughts to contribute or you just want to say hi, cool, um, request and, uh, and we'll get you up. Uh, but Ella, go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, I'd like to sort of zero in on some of the points that Anon was making, because it's really interesting to hear from somebody that is... Um, at a different level of the game to um, to what many of us are operating at because and, and I'm not saying that to suck up I'm just simply stating facts you know I feel like it almost it matters less when you're new in the space because you're testing the water and nobody expects you to do any different and you know your trajectory really if you're if you're going to follow that path from zero to superstar it is you slowly build trajectory you slowly build your network and your early collectors will be your friends. They will be your supporters um, that you know, that you speak to every day. But when you get to the sort of bigger leagues, you're dealing with collectors who are looking at you as an investment um, and unashamedly so. Nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. Um, there's a reason for that, obviously, which is that fine art has outperformed the stock market consistently for for decades um, over, over a long time frame. So, of course, people that want to diversify their portfolio they look at fine art, they look at who's a good investment. I mean, it's the same as me buying shares in a company and saying, oh, wh why is that company hired a complete tool to run their operations? They're going to lose a load of money, you know? And so they may be looking at it through that lens, but of course it, it's not just a business, is it? It's about your creative expression. And um, I think the key for us is, I think it comes back to what Black was saying. It's about knowing exactly where you are on that path. And that can actually be really hard to determine because you might do something that gains a lot of traction just because you're in the right place at the right time. And then you find yourself unable to replicate that. Um, and of course, we're all fighting against imposter syndrome as well, because let's face it, we're artists. We talk with our pictures and what we have to say isn't going to be just uh, kittens are cute and bunnies are nice. You know what I mean? Anyway, mad ramble because I'm super tired, but I, I guess I better pass it back to Anon. I appreciate that acknowledgement. Um, I try to be like fairly humble about just the connections that I've made because I myself am not a whale by any means. Maybe relatively speaking, I've done well the past two years, but I also have a, a lot of bookkeeping that will catch up with me. Um, but in regards to the networking, that's what I really want to speak on is if you are new the networking is critical. Um, being in Twitter spaces, Clubhouse, I would even say, is still relevant, especially for artists. That's where I met the majority of artists in the first six months that I was in Web3 was through Clubhouse, and it gave me an entirely different perspective of the industry and their challenges and their experiences and the way they interact with each other and that it's much more collaborative energy. If you can, if you can find the right niche, that could make all the difference right there. And now let's talk about when you get to those higher levels. Well, I'm going to be very transparent about that as well. There is a layer of meditation, a premeditation. There's a layer of coordination. Um, once you get to those higher echelons, um, it, it, it does start to get a little bit more 
manipulated or man political political sure manufactured so okay ready for this i know an uh, incredible artist one of the nicest people that i've met in web3 their name is uh, their handle is keegan nft k-e-e-g-a-n nft they just released their first piece on super rare uh reserve price is 0.5 eth they cannot get a bid i feel awful for them I also don't want to bail them out and be their only bid because that's not going to benefit them long term either. Um, the challenge is, right, they've done everything right from how they try to market themselves on Twitter, how they have done some airdrops and really rewarded their early adopters and earliest collectors and, 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 and made it more of an ecosystem and a community driven experience. There is just no other than, you know, the. The early support that they've had, they haven't been able to break through. They haven't been able to they, – they've, they've essentially plateaued. And it's, and it's really frustrating to see because I can identify with some of the circles and networks that I'm in that they're not getting a, a fair shot, right? Like it almost doesn't matter at that point how great the artwork is. You need the right person to notice it. It's not just that you need anybody to notice it. And that's some of the inequalities that I'm hoping Web3 – will start to challenge because while we do have the curations developing like AOTM, which is a art of this millennium, uh, their founder is Vincent Van Doe, who's been around the space forever. The curation that they're putting together is outstanding. I mean, it's revolutionary. Um, however, will it, will it ultimately kind of like create some sort of skewedness as far as where people's attention is drawn, um, what they're willing to consider because these curations like a noble cards gallery, like, you know, six, five, two, nine with the memes art blocks, right? Like these, these are all things that people trust, which is great. But for those that don't qualify or that aren't considered for these curations, where does that leave them? And, and so it's been tough that I meet a lot of organic artists just through my, I don't know, my, my, my journey in the space. And then I also have been able to come across some of, you know, the top tier artists and, 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 and hear kind of their point of view. And there, there needs to be a bridge. There, there needs to be some sort of attention that is given to that middle tier, right. Where more organic, more, um, the ones that don't have the help with marketing agencies, the ones that don't come from an entrepreneurship or, you know, a marketing background where they know how to do it themselves. Like Justin Aversano, for example, is one of the best marketers in web three. doesn't matter if it's one of one artist, doesn't matter if it's a project. This dude is incredible, but he, he also knew how to do it before he, uh, you know, blew up with twin flames. He, he knew the process. He knew he had the connections. So there's a lot that went into making that the number one uh, fine art, you know, NFT collection in existence right now. It, it's it, it doesn't just happen by by accident or just because, you know, you you know, every every once in a while, someone's going to be discovered. Great. Like a ferocious, I believe, was like, quote unquote, discovered. But for most, you're going to have to you're going to have to get a little bit more creative as far as how you network and how you create these uh, opportunities or affiliations for yourself, right? Where you're just aligning with other artists and, and the right people that 
it's going to help hopefully, you know, amplify and project or propel for everyone um, because not everyone is going to get those curation and, and uh, you know, like those high level opportunities. Great, great perspective. I think that one of the things uh, coming from a marketing background myself and working with startups and kind of you know growth marketing and getting out there and, and blowing up and things like that, I, I think one of the challenges in this space is that a lot of it's almost backwards. We're like, if you have the funding, the knowledge and the connections, it's not backwards. It's the same game that has always been played. However, if you're starting from zero, you're in a situation where this environment requires a lot of realness and a lot of genuine nature and people who want to invest in you, they want to invest in who you are. And sometimes I honestly believe that the art is secondary or the project is secondary to, to you getting picked up by other people. Cause they like, man, this, this person, they're on a track, like they're, they're investable, you know, they're, and that's how people are looking at them. But because of that, you can't walk out onto the stage with this like perfect suit presentation on because then you look like you're full of shit because you're in a place where you're just starting out. So in the, in the web two world of things, I think that realness and genuine nature had value. But if you walked out onto stage with a million dollar brand working with an agency or whatever, and you had zero sales, you could make that work because presentation was everything. How you presented it was what hit. And here in this world, my experience has been almost flipped upside down where like my, my knowledge and my experience with, you know, perfecting brand identity and working with companies and like all these things, almost all of that is like fall by the wayside. Like almost, almost none of it is applicable. I think the way that you speak to people interact and that sort of thing can be applicable and you can kind of have a bit of like a, um, a top tier, like level of communication and things like that, that may be on a professional level, but at the same time, like you still have to have like some, you know, some left fucking goes and some GNs in the, in, at night in order to stay on that level and be real and communicate with people. And then people want to see that journey. And like the journey is the real part. Like the journey is that genuine thing that people want to invest in. And so I think like, that's the challenge where like when it comes to marketing and what creates value in what you're doing, there's this weird, something that I do find that's like really strange here is the galleries, the publications, the things of, of that nature, the non-collector world of things, the, the more like the galleries and stuff where in a way, I almost feel like they need us more than we need them. Like I, this is something I've been sort of talking about here and there. And I, I love the galleries and we, I mean, I'm in, I've got in a, a gallery in Rome. We're in there today, just launched, right? So like I, I have utmost respect and also think that the galleries are doing NFT work is just a great thing in general because they're putting it out there and they're legitimizing NFTs and what they're doing, especially my circle of, of the things with AI art and expressionism and things like that. That's all good. But at the same time, just because you get into something like that, now there's like this, yo, I have value now. Now I have value. It's like a marketing tool. And in a way, like that seems really empty to me. Um, and, and, and in a way, it's like that doesn't really validate me as an artist. It doesn't validate that at all. It just means that I was I, I marketed it properly or I made the right connections or I made the, net, the good network. And none of that has anything to do really with the art, unless you were curated in and you want to, you know, want like a curation event or something like that. One of the reasons why Zero Nine and I ended up doing that curation event a couple of weeks ago was specifically for that reason, was try to elevate the contemporary fine art 
level within like the AI world of things because we wanted to like prove something. And most of the people that we ended up choosing had a very low follower count because it wasn't about that. I didn't care who they were. I wanted to look at their work. But a lot of times in this space, it's not like that. And so I think that there's this element of marketability and networking that goes into a lot of what you have to do in order to succeed, but it's also not validating to the work in which you're doing. So like those two things in a way almost seem to be running in tandem next to each other, but not on the same path. And I think once you hit a certain level, you're able to merge those into a singular road, into a singular path. And that's when you can start, you know, your craft is then validated by the things that you are getting into and you are involved in. But in a weird way, until you reach that point, it's hard to find that connection. I hope that, you know, that gives some credence to the idea of like what marketability is in this space. Yeah, you you came full circle because I thought we were going to have a fight for a second. Um, reason being, no, 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 I'm on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that it's it's easy for us to say that you know collectors collect us because we are us, um, but it's just it's, it's so much deeper than that, obviously. And um, I, I don't know if it's Hollywood. I don't know if it's just we're all very optimistic and, and wag me or whatever, but. Yeah, I, I think that there is so much import that goes into, again, like why people collect and what they value and a, a massive differentiation for the way that you can talk about yourself or an angle in which, if you would like to use that, an angle of which you can market yourself and think about that, that A-B testing if we want to get that deep into it. Um, but especially because, you know, we have um, someone like a Leslie in the space right now, um, Anon, Crip King, Gabe, um, Quantum, especially Jeff, with your like horror kids kittens and stuff like that like we we have so many different uh people in the space with a broad range of why people collect from them and it's not necessarily because they are they add value to the space but rather um i I don't want to turn this into like a a a teachy space so if you guys are interested i can redrop this document in discord but um i just want to go really 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 quick through some of those collector values and personas if you want to read the whole thing i will upload that to uh to discord here um but just what 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 am i talking about when i say collector values and personas i'm basically just talking about the different approaches that your different market segmentations your dream collector um uh take for why they want to collect specific artists um some of them include investment or your provability meaning that they want to invest in your art for the purpose of monetary gain or because they're invested in the proof of your portfolio and they believe that you will continue to grow and scale that's just one of them um, another one is entertainment. So a lot of DGENs, for the most part, usually collect for this reason. And that is just like exclusive access to a digital event, uh, an event within a community or a physical event. Cool. There's also, of course, utility, um, which includes offers that are adjacent or unrelated to the art. Um, usually it's a named incentive. So it's like part of the marketing and part of the advertising and something that the, the collector is made to expect and sometimes factors into the price of the NFT. There's also, of course, 
personal significant where this collector wants to connect with the art, the story, or the artist. So they value that emotional connected tissue of the art. And there's a whole bunch of other ones. Um, but like for, for the most part, like when, when I collect, um, I'm very heavy investment and very heavy personal significance. And my personal significance is also with the aesthetic of the art. So I don't necessarily, I'm, uh, I'm actually surprisingly kind of introverted. Um, I, I usually don't connect with the uh, with the artists themselves, or that's not necessarily why I collect from them. It's because I connect with the art that they're producing. And I think that honing in on what those collector values and personas are, both within your marketing, how you talk about your work, how you shill your work, whatever. But by identifying all of those elements, you are then able to experiment with um, why people are collecting you. And Anand, I, I had a question for you regarding that too. Um, I don't want to go into consult mode, but I do just want to know with uh, the, the artists that you were talking about earlier, I believe you said Keegan, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the, the name, um, but I just wanted to ask, why do their collectors at their lower price points collect them in the past? Do you think that there is a, a common value? Go I think ahead. it's aesthetic. I think that okay. aesthetically their work is pleasing. It's very like vibrant and, and uplifting in most cases. Um, there's a touch of mimetics in some of their work. That's why I collected the piece that I did because it was a Pepe inspired piece. Uh, this was a while ago, like over a year ago. Um, and then also I think persona, um, the artist's character, the way that they present themselves, like, like again, very small, humble following, but those that know who they are, would always, you know, preach the world about them as far as just how they carry themselves in the community. Um, Kino, I've never, like, I, I hate, I absolutely, it makes me so uncomfortable to ever shill. But with everything that's been said the past, like, 10, 15 minutes, I've never felt a more appropriate time to shill the platform that I'm representing. Would that be okay? I will allow it. Go I appreciate ahead. it. So it's called. Sh Thank you for yeah, asking. Yeah, of course. It's called Schiller, and it's going to be a live streaming, live audio platform that has optional token gating features. The reason why I think that we are going to have such a great impact within Web3 is because, one, you have people from like the startup world, from the tech world behind this, like original devs and stuff from musically before it was TikTok that know how to scale um a social media or you know this type of platform um this type of app right but also you have myself and Fitzy OG who are web3 natives and we connect with the community every day like ad nauseum and through these connections I've been able to discover that while yes projects are going to be on here like for example luca from pudgy penguins endorsed us and they'll be very active and we've been having lots of meetings with other ones but more importantly for this conversation one of one artists or you know just digital artists in general they are so excited to be able to actually demonstrate who they are because many of them don't want to be on Twitter spaces. One, because it has uh, a, a poor stigma in, in some cases because of who dominates the airwaves of Twitter spaces within Web3. It's a lot of drama. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of vibrato. You know, it's a, just a lot of noise and lack of substance. Whereas a platform like this that enables live streaming will, you know, once a, uh, 
OBS is enabled as well, is going to allow for much, much more sophistication with your content. Now, if you're an artist, you can use this to demonstrate and, and tell the story behind your art, or you can do more creative things. Uh, I, I can't say who, but there is a very well-known artist who I spoke with, and they said, you know, can I do X, Y, Z instead? And, and it was, you know, they want to connect an upcoming collection that they have to something that they can physically perform for their collectors, token gate it. And these are the types of experiences we want to cultivate and encourage where, you know, to the points that were made, you're going to be able to attract a more authentic, like convicted, passionate, loyal following and, 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 you know, collector base just by being able to make more intimate connections in the first place, things that are more customized, more personalized, and, and that allow for the artists, like I said, to really express themselves beyond what you see on the screen. Yeah, I think that part of my frustration with talking about marketing and the different elements of promoting yourself is that a lot of the platforms, the technology and the platforms just aren't there now. So I'm very excited that we have funding in these new projects. And um, yeah, connect with me. Oh, you're, I know that you're, uh, you, you told me about it earlier. But, yes. um, Content creators and artists is like an absolute whirlwind. I mean, yeah, there must be like over two, 300 names that I have written down just in that category. So yeah, I'll, I'll be yeah. I, I remember talking to you about excited, it. Um, yeah. But yeah, let me let me know what uh, what's going on with that. Update me, and uh, we'll we'll keep talking about it. Black Label, go ahead. Yeah, I I love that idea, and um, I've heard you all speak um, on some of the spaces. I think I was actually I think I talked to one of the Schiller spaces a week or two ago. But um, I think that what's needed more than anything, and I'm hoping that what you're referring to actually achieves this, is a is something that fills the gap. What I, what I would refer to as a distribution gap between collectors and creators in this space. I think that that's it's one of the, the biggest challenges with anything that we're doing where we're all on Twitter, we're using this platform that is used by millions and millions of other people that have nothing to do with anything that we're doing here. And the algorithm tends to wall us off and keep us in our own little safe rooms for things. And I think that the problem with that is, is that collectors are with collectors and creators are with creators. And you have these people that jump back and forth, but the, it's a very small percentage of people. And there's also, it's just really challenging to, like you can't post a link to anything. If you're, if you're a smaller account, if you have, if you're sub 20,000, sub 30,000, you post a link to anything, you get, you know, deep boosted, like you can't get anything out there. And so I think like, the time that it takes and the effort that it takes to build up something to even jump into a different room, into a different group of people is really challenging. And it ends up, I think, turning a lot of people off and also burning some people out. And also when it comes to really expressive, extremely talented artists, a lot of them um, I've seen just leave because they can't do like they can't make ends meet or they have to go get a job somewhere. They do something else or they don't have time for anymore because the 90% of the effort they're putting in is to feed the Twitter algorithm versus connecting with an actual collector. And there's like these weird human dynamics too, right? Where like, I just can't go DM someone that has half a million followers and say, hey, what's up? You want to come buy my stuff? Like that is, that's not how it operates either. And you have to build relationships and build connections. And there's this entire kind of courting process that happens naturally with any relationship that you build in life, regardless of what it's for. And I find that as, as connected as we all can be in this space, 
we're also very disconnected from those who are the um, the yin to our yang, so to speak. Like the collectors are not necessarily connected with the creators and the pools are different sizes and there's this massive gap. And so like my time here, this has been one of the most apparent challenges with anything. And I think a lot of people can just write it off and say, oh, that's just, you know, that's just a part of how it is. But I don't think it has to be like that. It's a very web two way of thinking, in my opinion. I think it's just a very web two way of thinking where if we're going to decentralize, we can't um, achieve the goals that we need to with the connections we need to connect with in a completely decentralized fashion or in a web two fashion either. There has to be something that fills that gap that ends up making meaningful connections where artists can share what they're doing in a meaningful way that actually turns to revenue for them so they can keep creating great stuff that people actually want to collect and build revenue and wealth and everything else for everyone. Like there's this massive uh, potential of abundance just sitting in this empty gap that I, that I see in the market between the two. And I see like what you're referring to and some of the other talks that I've heard about, it seems like it actually has the potential to do that, not to shill for you, but I'm just saying, I, I, this kind of sounds like it is, it is kind of that to me. I'd love to hear maybe your feedback on that. We can kind of move on to other topics, but uh, I would love to hear that. Also make sure that we're making room for Ella too, because she's had her hand up forever. Um, if it's okay, do you mind if I uh, grab Ella and just see if she has a comment? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I totally got distracted then. My original point got lost because I really like the sound of that city. Um, I'm Yay. so glad you allowed the shill though. Um, may I just ask two, two or three quick questions about it? Yeah, of course. Cool. Okay, so just had a quick look at the profile. I haven't had a chance to read through because obviously I'm listening to you guys. Um, is this going to be a curated thing? Do people need to apply um, or is it open open to everybody? So apparently, as long as you have uh, some layer of credibility that you can prove that you are a content creator, that you are an artist, uh, there is you know a human that's going through and screening every single incoming application uh, and of course we'll you know uh, continue to like build out the staff as uh, the platform gains more adoption um, there is a curation happening with projects as far as when we introduce them like we don't want to introduce uh, say 10 of the largest projects all on day one just because um, you know with where things are at that would not be sustainable as far as the the platform's capabilities um, excuse me. So the plan is that we're launching in our MVP stage before NFT Paris, uh, which is at the end of next month. And then as we approach uh, both NFT LA and NFT NYC, we'll be ramping up our users as well as uh, attracting interest from um, investors as we you know, approach some, some fundraising. Um, and at that point, We'll have the funds for, you know, the infrastructure to basically open it up to everyone, um, as well as like really focusing on how to uh, empower the content creators as well as reward the listeners through some form of decentralized like infrastructure, which can't really go too far into. All I can say is it won't be a cryptocurrency. We don't want to like go in that direction just with the current challenges that exist. Um but yeah, we're really confident as far as like, I'm not the best one to speak about growth strategy. That's Sam. He Sam Jones was managing director with Wish.com. He made the relationship with Snoop Dogg through the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers use Wish as a sponsor on their jersey. And that's how this whole idea kicked off. Sam comes from uh, China and Hong Kong, where he spent a fair amount of time studying 
video commerce and and you know just social media there and how it works and they're significantly far ahead of western nations and as to how they use video commerce and social media and so we want to start to implement some of their strategies and concepts here uh, because it does create more connectivity it does allow for more like grassroots organic engagement like ways of people discovering each other the ui again with it being designed uh with web3 in mind or you know primarily identifying with web3 that is going to encourage us to kind of create categories and niches and and we know what those niches are right so that's just going to make it that much more easier for people that do share those interests or those passions to find each other i hope that kind of answered your question it does really well um and i'm going to ask what may don't take this in the wrong way it's not an attack i'm just curious how um the funding model is going to work going forward i assume obviously you've got um enough to get started and you're going to be seeking more but what's the um what's the long-term thing going to be are you going to charge creators to be there are you going to take a percentage of sales are you going to have advertising how's that going to work so we're actually not going in the direction of being an ad network like most social media platforms are. It's something that the founders are pretty adamantly against. So it will be more of a dynamic approach as far as compensating creators and then taking a percentage of sales from uh, tokens. So uh, again, there's some things I got to be pretty sensitive about, but we will have the ability to mint on our platform. So you'll be able to have like a creator token, some sort of way of opening up uh, a Schiller stage, some sort of uh, experience, event, however you want to look at it, charge for it, and we would take a percentage of that. But there's a lot of like creative ways, a lot of high level people. Like I'll admit, this is definitely a conversation that is probably not in my realm of uh you know strength uh i'm more community definitely more forward facing when it comes to the growth strategy when it comes to the monetization and you know the sustainability of the platform financially i trust the people that are leading the way there um and you know we could definitely set up a conversation if you wanted to be introduced to one of them that's super cool thank you so much i'm definitely going to look into this more because why the hell not it sounds awesome um so thank you kino for letting me just go down that rabbit hole <laughs> oh good um i actually kind of want to just pivot off of everything and get your thoughts on as more of these platforms open how do we navigate which ones are going to be the most valuable how do you identify that and then also did you just make a huge mistake if that platform goes under? <laughs> um, and what, what, I, what I mean by that is that like, I think that we all have anxieties about how much investment you need to spend into new platforms. Like, for example, Mastodon. Um, when uh, Elon San uh, took, over, uh, took over Twitter, um, there were a bunch of, you know, there, there was a lot of discussion about which social media platform is going to be the next one. And of course, that meant investing an inordinate amount of time in creating a new profile, learning everything, connecting with people like there's a lot of labor that goes into all of these new platforms. And then, you know, um, object became uh, more popularized. I'm trying to think of an e thing, but my brain is absolutely blanking. We've had a bunch of uh, NFT platforms that have 
also popped up that some people have migrated to. And uh, of course, Tezos became crazy, crazy successful. Um, but other other uh, other blockchains like what's the one with the ghost? I am Saul. Um, but other other ones like uh, like Saul just don't don't have the, the same acclaim. I'm not saying that people haven't been successful on there because of course they have, but it doesn't have the same acclaim. And I wonder if some of those artists kind of regret having gone there from ETH. Um, so what I'd, I'd like to do actually is think about like the future and uh, the the technology that's coming. Um, and all of these these platforms and like how we should not only navigate the labor that is involved with um, with onboarding to them, um, but also normalizing that not every platform is going to work towards whatever your version of success is and um, encourage people to, yes, like follow trends, um, make sure that they are exploring these new platforms. But I, I, I don't know. I don't really have like a, a statement to give um, other than be be flexible. So I, I don't know. I just kind of want to want to explore that real quick. What do you think, Black? Yeah, we have to diversify what we're doing. Like, there's no way around that. That is like, I, if I could give right. one answer, we have to diversify. And then I think where... Can we define that, you, though? Yes. Not, but don't put all your engagement in one basket. How about that? I think it's good. I think that when, but when we're talking about technology and where we're going, like diversification, good. Yes, absolutely. Um, diversifying how you market is good. But I also think that it is enormously important to own your data. What I mean by that is to not rely on Twitter and Instagram and the followers that you have because Twitter and Instagram own the data of those followers. So if something happens yep. to them, if something happens to your account, if your metrics are down, that means that you no longer have access to that very important data that keeps you that keeps you fed. Um, so bypasses for that, again, I think is why additions are very powerful. Email lists is another one of those. And yeah, I, I, I guess I just want to like uh, contextualize that um, diversification is very important, but I also want to think of things as a funnel and, and data ownership as we're going forward, because hi, Web3 is very data driven. And I think that we have a lot of opportunities to make sure that artists own their data as we go forward. Yes. So we are still... We're operating with Web3 tooling in a Web2 world. That's what we're doing. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges where you we are supposed to, you know, we were kind of sold on this dream of what Web3 is, this decentralization. But here we are on Twitter talking about how we can make sales. So I think it's there's a bit of kind of an upside down world happening with that at the moment, because I think we're I think we're transitioning. I think it's happening. I just don't think we're there yet. I don't. Out of all the things that I've seen, I think some things have big promises um, and it seems to be connecting. But at the end of the day, if like my perfect world scenario, if I had a magic wand, it would be to have a wallet that then I can do. I can post to my social media accounts, every single account everywhere with one location centralized to me, decentralized to the world. Um, and then that allows me to have full control over everyone who collects, everyone who engages, everyone who's involved in everything that I'm doing. I can connect with them at any moment that I want to on any platform that they're on. That is true decentralization. Decentralization should not be fragmentation. Decentralization should be open, wild west, wild world that we're able to put things out and everyone who's interested in receiving it receives it. 
And I think that to me is, that's the dream. The, the, the challenges that we have right now is that Instagram, Twitter, and other platforms, which were built in you know, the early 2000s, they were built in a way at that time where if I had 100 personal friends and I posted what I ate for lunch that day, every one of them would see it because that would be in their timeline because they were only following 1,000 people. And I was one of them. But now you have people that have millions and millions and millions of followers and you have billions of people following millions of people. And they had to create the algorithms in order to give you content they think you want to see versus whether or not you actually want to see it. And, and that also creates these like self-imposed silos where we're only seeing the things that we're involved in or want to talk about or doing ourselves. And if you're an artist and you're putting out art, you're just seeing art. That's all you're seeing. If you're a collector, you're, you guys are seeing other collectors. That's how it works for the most part. And there's obviously, I'm overgeneralizing it, but there's obviously like some overlap there. But in general, the problem is, is that we're, we're still operating with all of this with the mindset of the Web2 platforms. And I have, I have yet to see something come up that actually does connect us all in a decentralized way so that we can all be connected that way. Everything is still centralized. Like we, we're operating within the facilitations of a Web3 decentralization with the, the market. And then once again, by the way, the marketplaces we're all selling on are all centralized markets. So it's a, it's a weird hypocrisy that I tend to find with it. And I, I, you know, I kind of have had a bit of kickback just internally with a lot of these mechanisms that are in place here in the last couple of months. Like the more that I'm in it, the more I'm like, does people not, do you not see this? I feel like these things are supposed to be decentralized. We're, we're all centralizing ourselves once again. I think there's this natural um, universal life force that wants us to go from chaos to order, you know, but decentralization should be open, open order. That's not chaotic. It, order does not, should not necessarily mean confined. And I think that's one of the problems where like, we're trying to figure out like, oh, well, how should you diversify? Well, here's 25 different platforms you can use that's all centralized in all their own platforms. Like decentralization should be coming from one point to many, not, not me going to many points back. Like we're, we're doing it opposite. I don't have a solution, but that's how I, how I, that's how I identify the problem, I guess. Ella, after you. Thank you. Um, I'm a big proponent of going around saying that decentralization at this time is largely a myth and, I hate to say it, although we have great ideals in this community, we want to build something better. Um, I don't think phrases like, to be honest, Web3, wag me, you know, all the jargon and these slogans that we get behind, they mean absolutely fuck all because our day-to-day -day lives are here in Web2 dealing with things in the way that we always have done. Now, I'm a little bit cynical about it all. I don't see... I mean, maybe I'm just not a visionary enough, I don't know. But I think we need to be really honest with ourselves, not get caught up in the hype and the slogans. Um, you mentioned Mastodon. I just want to very quickly speak about Mastodon for anyone that's considering it. Don't bother. Um, they go on about it being decentralised social media, um, but it is, it is an absolute shit show. And I'll tell you why. Because anybody can spin up a, a server, just like on Discord. And the way it's supposed to work is if you um, make a post with a hashtag other people on other servers can still see your post because they look for that hashtag. So you're supposed to be able to find people and discover people from all around the network. Now, the problem is that all of these servers are privately run. Um, and that means that the, the moderator, the admin, whatever you want to call them, they are basically like a god in their little universe. And 
if they have an issue with another server, they can block that entire service so that you can never even see it. And that's not good. That is not a very healthy or helpful structure. I'm not saying that these big companies like Google, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Obviously, sorry, Instagram is part of Facebook now, isn't it? Um, or whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying that they're perfect. They're absolutely not. But at least there's some degree of accountability. Um, I did try Mastodon. I was on there for a few weeks and it just melted my brain that somebody that I didn't even know who they was, they could decide whether or not my posts were seen and I had no recourse. Now, I know there's issues with that on Twitter, but not to the extremes that there are over there. And you've also got you know, whether you agree or disagree with it, there is a very anti-free speech culture. So mention NFTs or crypto, you're fucked. Um, talk about AI, again, you're going to be screamed at and told to put it behind a content warning because you might upset someone. Um, and they've also taken this idea of trigger warnings and content warnings to such an insane degree. I saw somebody posting, a, making a post, apologizing because they'd posted an image where the picture was making eye contact with the viewer and they didn't put a content warning on it. And apparently pictures that make eye contact with people can potentially be really upsetting. So if you post it without a warning, then you're bad and you're on the naughty step and you have to make really long-winded... I, I thought it was a joke. I was just like, are we, are we in the twilight zone here? But no, that was, what expect, that was what was expected of this guy because he'd fucked up and he'd broken the unspoken code. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is like some kind of dystopian nightmare. I am out of this shithole. Anyway, that's my rant about Mastodon and um, broadly about the culture of sloganeering, uh, throwing sand in people's eyes. Thus ends my TED talk. Over to you. <laughs> um, I just want to say hi to Stroke. I haven't seen you in a minute. Hello, my love. Tyler, I hope your date went well. Uh, Renee Speck Animate just got in here. Leslie, I'm not sure if I've said hi yet. Hello, hello. Um, Acid Cap Dad and uh, Mark, you've been here the whole damn time. Um, thank you so much for the support, friendo. Um, let me make space for Anon, and then I want to say hello to uh, Chowan and Payne, if that's okay. Go ahead, Anon. All right, so I tried to get better about this because it brought a lot of uh, negative attention last year. So I don't say names anymore, right? But I will kind of speak generically that there's a lot of people that have a lot of influence within Web3, especially the Twitter sphere. And I believe that they are, they're a social engineering a narrative that, you know, we're all identifying is disingenuous that maybe it's idealistic but more so it's it's predatory quite frankly it's manipulative it, it, it's trying to convince people that there is a utopia that's forming and that they can be a part of it and that they can be a part of something greater than themselves when in reality they're just being funneled into being consumers um and 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 you know it's it's really frustrating that they will not speak out on certain narratives that they know to be true, that they know to have merit as far as the decentralized philosophy or, you know, kind of like uh, structure of, of our of our ecosystem. Uh, you know, some of the right, the marketplaces being a huge example where there are notable people that have a lot of influence, have a lot of have a lot of clout, have a lot of uh, respect in the community 
not just influencers. I'm talking like some super OG people of this space and they have investments in these marketplaces. So their opinion is biased and they're going to preach a certain narrative and put a spin on it to try to make us all feel comfortable and to play along. But in reality, they're just pumping their own bags on a really high level. That, that's what's happening. And, and it's frustrating that A16Z is essentially trying to make a monopoly over the space with the marketplaces and with the influencers that they use as proxies to basically propel their message that, yes, this is the Web3 that we want to be reinforcing. This is the, 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 the you know, the um, ultimate vision for what our Web3 was intended to be, when in reality, it's creating more inequalities than than are necessary. It's definitely encouraging a social pyramid. And it's just, there's a lot of like smoke and mirrors and hidden in plain sight of people telling you what you want to hear. When in reality, it's, it's not what is ideal for the commoner, you know, the, the average person of this space to feel included. Ooh, and I okay. just said the, oh, the quiet God. part out loud. Dude, I want to talk to you, man. Let's fucking <laughs> make this. If anybody knows me, you guys know that just like resonated hard as fuck with me. Just throw that out there. All right, I'm gonna shut up. But yeah, dude, word <laughs> preach. Yeah, that's that's. Um, so like the, so, mm, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this because I feel like there's a balance between uh, <clears throat> Logan Paul uh, manipulation, ethical marketing, and uh, what I do. Um, and what I mean by that is I, as most of you know, don't do my own marketing. And I tended to, I'm going to start crying. Uh, I tended to start, I, I tended to give everything away. And that is not a good business model. And I now recognize that I, I kind of did everything backwards, but I didn't, but I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. So what, what I'm, the, the application of education for, for me, at least like remains a, a pre-web institution where the access, um, the, the access to resources is either like enormously expensive or it's stupidly poor quality. And if you saw a tweet from me, um, I think it was last week, I, I, I just suddenly realized for some, some reason it dawned on me that the priorities of gurus and coaches and, you know, these, uh, these big wig millionaires um, who want to sell you their courses, their, their priorities are marketing. It's never been on making a quality product. It's never been on originality. It is built on hype. And all of that hype is manipulated. And that's what bothers me so much about a lot of what Web3 is right now. Um, I think that fractionalized content, so there, there is a good side to fractionalized content. If you're a marketer, I'm not saying all fractionalized content bad, but the market of fractionalized content provides little value for an artist unless they pay quite a lot of money for the complete product. And I know that we're talking about different scales, especially with, um, with Anon up here. Um, but it, this, this ecosystem is exploitative and it continues the culture of the starving artist. And then you have my platform that is a free access educational platform where I'm making original content. I am doing my own damn research. And what bothers me so much is that we have artists who are so fucking talented and we have 
people in the space who are so knowledgeable and just give stuff away, but we do not give back to them. We do not make sure that they are sustained and, and giving priority to people who do not have the ability to invest as much time into their marketing and building that hype as other people. And I think that there needs to be like an acknowledgement of balance between, and, and granted, like a lot of these things can be solved by having a team. I could hire a marketing manager. I could have somebody come in and do the things that I need them to do and promote the hype um, to, you know, convert to, uh, to sales. I, I'm not, um, I, I'm acknowledging that. But even still, I, I do recognize that there is so much frustration in the space, especially for quote unquote small artists. I hate that phrase. Um, but for quote unquote small artists, artists who are talented and who do put a lot of time and investment into their Twitter, into their marketing, and especially obviously into their art, but they don't see a return for that amount of investment that they've made. And I suppose at the end, um, Anon, I wonder what uh, what your thoughts on that as far as the the scale is concerned with um, with smaller accounts and are like I don't want to say smaller stakes because again I don't like that fucking phrasing, um, but but stakes that um, that 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 aren't on the scale that we're talking about as far as like that NFT portfolio is concerned. So, I'll I'll, I'll transition into that point, but I want to give context and use an example. So I'm a sappy seal. I have one vaulted. It's got, you know, it's a little fast food hat on. It's a cool meme. I'll probably hold on to it for a while. There are a lot of sappy seals that have recently observed that all they ever see is other sappy seals. I personally do not feel this is by coincidence. This is a, you know, this is very algorithmic as far as the echo chambers that are being reinforced. And it only happens, though, with certain projects. It doesn't happen with all projects. Like, not all projects can organically create their own echo chambers it, it doesn't work um and and so one thing that i've touched on for over a year now ever since the engagement spark program was introduced by twitter and then mysteriously went away what that did was allowed for certain content creators to be prioritized and given preference and privilege by twitter directly and they had a paid relationship they received uh, free ad spend and it prioritized them within the algorithm and, you know, within the top bar of Twitter spaces. I believe that we would have to be in, very naive to not at least consider that it's a possibility that Twitter and marketing agencies that they have relationships with do not have a financial interest within the projects of the NFT space, which is why I think that we continue to see the same things over and over and over again. If you're an ape, you are always going to be surrounded by ape stuff. Now, granted, some of this is ape follow ape, seal follow seal, whatever it is, but some of it is not necessarily organic that, like, for three months straight, all we heard about was Utes and D-Gods. Um, for a month straight, all we heard about was Sappy Seals. For uh, a couple months straight uh, after um, South by Southwest last year, all we heard about was Doodles. And, again, I think that there is a layer of coordination that goes into this as far as that they are paying for preference or paying for some sort of priority within the algorithm. And so to transition to your point about smaller accounts, this is where, yeah, you have to grind. You have to be creative. You have to network your ass off because first you have to have the awareness to understand that, no, you're not in that tier. 
it's unfortunate. And those are the inequalities that exist in this space. And, you know, we can take them for what it's worth. And you can either cry and whine about it, which I've done, I'll admit it. Or you can be proactive and, and look to, you know, pave your own path. And that's the beauty of Web3, right, is that once we are aware of the games that are being played, we can choose not to participate. Does it mean that we're going to have the same amplification and the, and the same results as some of the other stuff? Probably not, but it'll be that much more fulfilling and rewarding on like an emotional and spiritual level just because you know that the community that you did cultivate you did so organically, you know, like I said, you grinded your ass off, you got creative with how you network, you know, you were a reply guy or girl on the timeline, just in order to make connections, right? Like, I I did this for over a year, hopping in Twitter spaces, hopping in clubhouse, being in and out of different discords, just asking, where can I help not looking for a payday, not looking for any sort of um, immediate return, but just like planting seeds of different connections. And so as an artist or just someone who's trying, a content creator, anyone's trying to, you know, build their platform, build their reputation, be, go above and beyond to, to put yourself out there and, and to be, I don't want to say charitable. Cause as Kino mentioned, and I actually, you know, resonated with this, like empathized intensely with, you know, the emotion that you were feeling before, because, I've done similar where I just gave it all away. And I said, I'm just going to be an altruist and I'm just going to give my time for free. And I'm going to give away my NFTs to, to pay it forward to other people. Right. Like that you, you, you can't go too far polarized in, in one direction. Like there isn't one like right or wrong approach. It, it, it takes just trial and error and, 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 you know, a level, a level of like vulnerability um, and, and you just want people to see you for who you are, right? You just want to be relatable and, and either, you know, you, you either help educate or you inspire or, or, or just like really speak to what your strengths are about yourself, like what you're proud of about yourself. And there's going to be people that resonate with that and relate to it. And that's how you're going to build an organic community and then fuck the algorithm because, Besides the fact that, yes, at times we're being what seems to be intentionally like distanced and kind of misled from each other with the algorithm, there, there's still an opportunity once you have kind of that organic network of people that support you for the right reasons, they're never going to go. They're, they're never going to leave your side. And that's a nucleus, right? That, that, that's why I'm so passionate about CCO. Like I, I'm huge into MFers and it's because when I was introduced to it, I've had one since day one, but when I was introduced to like the real community a few months ago, there was one group chat maxed out at 75 people. Now, a few months later, there's like five or six different group chats all maxed out at 75 people. Most of these people are convicted. They're never going anywhere. They may trade MFers here and there, but they'll never trade their last one. And it's because it has nothing to do with Sartoshi. It has nothing to do with the price, you know, the floor price or even the art itself. It has everything to do with people discovering each other more organically, discovering shared interests, shared values, and forming a nucleus. And you can't disrupt a nucleus once once it's been solidified. I think that is something that is completely like undervalued or just overlooked within Web3 is that these platforms are not designed to kind of like enable or empower this, unfortunately, but at least us as humans, we're figuring it out like from a consciousness shift that the way we interact with others to create these, these groups, these, these tribes, they're, 
strength and there's strength in numbers there. And, and again, that's like a snowball that once it starts rolling, you can't stop it. So that would be my like kind of line of thought, my advice, my perspective on how to approach building organic community. Yeah, I, I want to fight you a little bit, Anon. Um, Let's fight. <laughs> here we go. Ding, ding. Um, well, I mean, you want to know how I know that we're not ready for a 12 through Web3 environment? It, it's because of the algorithm. Um, I, I think that there needs to be a shift in priorities and how we move in this space less from um, individualism and into more community. Like we think of, of WAGMI and, and Web3 as we're all going to help each other. We're building a community. It's community. Everything is community. We're all in this together, right? Uh, we've very clearly seen that the way that um, the Web3 community has evolved over the past couple of years, uh, those, those aren't our priorities. Our priorities are still individuals. And the reason that I pinned up the, uh, the tweet that I did is because I, I actually want to ask about responsibility. Um, and as technology improves, ideally, we're going to see a shift in these priorities where, of course, people are able to create more and get outside of their bubbles. Um, and in a decentralized environment, the problem with algorithms is that the algorithms are going to continue to keep you in your echo chamber because people don't understand how they work. Um, and until we, uh, we get that education out there, and especially until we teach people how to um, not only get outside of their bubble, but make sure that they have enough energy to get outside of their bubble. Um, it, I, honestly, I think that decentralization is going to be worse for us than things are now. Um, mostly because, again, we're, we're going to have a lot of isolated communities and isolated interest groups now. Um, Instead of uh, what we have now, which is a, a single platform for all of them, where it, there is like, you know, certain inter intermingling there. But of course, we have our algorithmic bubbles. Um, that's that's not I don't really want to open everything up up there. Um, but I do want to at least get to uh, pain and shown if that's OK. And um, we're probably going to end up uh, winding down the space pretty soon if that's OK. Um, let me call on uh, on pain first and then uh, shown and get you guys up here. Oh, let, let's go with Chung Lee first because I know she's okay. here first. I just want to oh, be me. respectful. Chung, how are you? Um, hi. You know, I was drifting in and out of sleep and uh, kept up by um, that very uh, passionate speech uh, about what what was it about? I, I think I was dreaming about Star Wars and stuff like that. Based on that, uh, quite dramatic, um, and and having some dictator telling us what's uh, what 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 should be accepted, what's not, and kept in separate groups, in silos and all. I think I think that was a dream. Or was it that this is what, what Enon was talking about or something? Not sure. But anyway, anyway, I jumped in uh, because of uh, the second part of your title there, the additions degrade value. And uh, let me just tell you what happened. Uh, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I'm, I'm confused now because it's, it's uh, probably like 6 a.m. where I am. Oh God, it is. Okay, and I'm not slept. Okay, um, so what happened was um, I saw Kozomo, uh, the Medici, um, asking for recommendations for artists who is not sold beyond five uh, ETH. So I, I just uh, shared some artworks I've collected from uh, artists who you know, I can afford. Um, there's two of them, and he, replied, he actually replied, wow, and guess what? 
um, the two artists, one of them, uh, okay, they do both editions and singles, but it doesn't matter because they are fucking blowing up right now. Um, one of them has got an open edition at Manifold, and um, it's suddenly, I think it's minted over 50 editions just within the last uh, last know, 12 hours or something, or 24 hours. So it, it actually went up by quite a lot, I mean, compared to the pace before. You just need someone, I guess, who is very influential to to say even anything, even maybe there's a dot or, um, I don't know, a, 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 an emoticon maybe that would really drive up your value, whatever uh, you do, I guess. That's, that's what this whole space is. Even not, never mind Web3, never mind um, digital art, NFTs. It's anything, anywhere, you know, shoes. Like, yeah, you know, most of us look like, ah, this is boring. Then you get, let's say, a celebrity, someone uh, who's very popular, household name, suddenly appearing on TV, just wearing the same pair of shoes. And guess what happens? Everyone will fucking buy a pair. I think, you know, so do additions degrade value? No. Uh, if you don't have a celebrity kind of like going, um, saying something about you, I think you can, you know, it doesn't really matter anyway. So, uh, yeah. I don't know if that fits your topic or not. But, okay, by the way, yes, we are all in echo chambers because I've been running between spaces in the last few months. And I always end up in the same end of uh, of this universe. I can't get out of it. I'm trapped. I need to get out. Help. And I need to go sleep. <laughs> that, that thread that you're referring to, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's super, super um, relative to this conversation because that thread made or broke artists. There are people that got followed um, from Cosimo yesterday that immediately boosted like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers. Like, like these are, and I think that's the thing where like when Anon's speaking about the way that these things are set up and those, you know, I don't want to say like those people in control, because that sounds like very like tenfold hat, but it's really the people that have amassed a lot of influence and influence in this space equals followers influence in this space equals you tweet anything you want you have instant support because everybody just wants to be in your ecosystem and i think that you know i kind of look at things as i recognize that and i also play to it to a certain degree like anyone would but i also hate it at the same time and um like i mean i even made a piece over the weekend really as a commentary of artists versus collectors this huge kind of being that was a collector with all these kind of slave artists standing around them as like a web3 commentary for this specific reason and it was very ironic people were tagging me in that thread yesterday too um and i think that it's like when i when i look at the power that one individual or a group of i mean you can have a group of say 100 people in this space any one of those people can make or break anyone else and that's a weird power in a place where we're all supposed to have decentralized control. It's a very strange dynamic when we're all supposed to have a decentralized process of production, creation, and collection when a hundred people can make or break the entire system. I ask openly, is this the nature of human existence? Is this the nature of us coming together in any type of system? whatsoever is it always going to be like this is it always going to be something where those with the plenty um you know kind of control the fate of the many and i think that that's really 
the question that I have. It's a much larger, broader, like social commentary and culture question. But when it comes to what it is we're operating on a daily basis, those 100 people can change the fate of anyone. So the people and, and good for the artists who are selling out. That's great. That's fantastic for them. How about the ones who were mentioned um, and did not get the like or get the retweet or get the comment or get the follow? Now they're in the same place that they were. And a lot of people, especially artists, I think more so than any other genre of human activity, those that are creative tend to have more emotion or at least they show up more. They're using these different types of methodology, methodologies as a pathway for expression. And everybody feels it. Like, I feel like people that are artists, you feel it, you feel it more and you show it more. And I think that it's, that's a tough situation to be in on a daily basis where a lot of people are just grinding. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my career. I've never worked as hard as I have in this space. And I think that that's something to be said where like the passion and belief that a lot of us have towards an initial, like an, an eventual outcome, the intention of success in that way, and not just to get rich, but to grow community and culture and express our, our creations and make comments and, and project outward what it is we want to have is controlled by a small number of people who were here maybe before me and maybe had other connections that are outside of this place that you don't know about, who people think are anonymous, but really aren't because everybody knows who they are. And there's things like that that's really weird. Um, and so I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Joanne, and also get some sleep because it's late. Let's grab Ella Payne and I'm going to get Fiat up here and then we're going to close everything down if that's okay. Go ahead, Ella. Oh, I have to come back after Joan. Honestly, you always make me laugh, girl. Oh. You always make me laugh. You're fantastic. And thank you so much for being here tonight because we needed you. <laughs> no, I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to, because I spoke just before a non-speech and um, I just want to say how 1000% I am with you on that. I was toning it down quite a lot, what I was saying. And um, yeah, you kind of spoke what I really wanted to say. Wag me is a lie. Not everybody's going to make it, at least not in the society and the structures and the way things are set up now. And I think Black, you sort of touched on it as well. When one person has that much power, something is wrong and something needs to change. But Okay, here's my stick on it. If um, that person created power for himself, uh, that's fair enough. You know, It's the, the one that the ones that I worry about are the inherited power. What gave them the right other than who they came up from, you know? So people like Kozomo, if he's really a uh, Snoop Dogg, he made that, that, he really created that club for himself. I think that's fine. I don't know. Uh, okay, back to you guys. I am just blabbering from half sleep, like a zombie. If I can say one other thing here, Kino, do you mind? I, I think that um, everyone's on their own path here, you know? So just because someone has like a lot of followers or something like you don't, like you don't know. And I, I don't, I don't think anyone means this. And I, I certainly don't. And I, I don't mean like if you, if you've been successful in the space, you must be, you know, corrupt or something. I don't think that's the case either. I want to clarify my narrative around that. But I do think that is a challenge in a place where we're supposed to be decentralized and we're not. That's essentially what I'm, that's essentially my point. Um, anyone who looks at anyone that has more follower count than they are, um, we, we boil each other down in that way and say, oh, well, they must be this or they must be that or whatever. And so I think that's, that's a dangerous thing to do, too. I don't want to perpetuate that narrative. At the same time, there also is a very real effect 
um, by a handful of people to make or break a lot of others in a place where we're supposed to be decentralized. So I just want to make that clarification. Um, and Illustrata made a good point in the, uh, the comments. She says, uh, not to mention those... Sorry, not to mention who those bigger influences tend to promote. Not an equitable distribution, in my opinion. Much fewer women, non-binary people, POC, for example. And again, why I think we're not ready for Web3 philosophy is the algorithm and um, how much how much how we think about doing work to make sure that we have equity in the space. So right now, with the way that our brains are, um, we are going to engage with the content that we are fed on our timeline. Cool. Great. But what about all of the other content that exists out there? What about making sure that you are seeking out those underserved groups and sharing those, supporting those, buying those? That is not something that we are trained to do. I assure you, once you start doing it, it becomes like second nature. It's very easy, but we don't have that education out there. We're not making sure that we are um, promoting doing that. So yeah, right now we have a cycle um, of influencers. Um, I, I hesitate to say boosting their own bags because I, I don't want to make a blanket statement like that, but um we have a lot of influencers who are part of a circle of influence and being allowed into that is, um, sorry, I shouldn't say it that way. Sorry. My, my brain is, uh, is absolutely rugging right now. Um, yeah, I just, I, I wish that, uh, influencers would seek outside of their algor algorithmically selected bubble and, um, support those, uh, those underserved communities. I, I completely agree. Sorry for my, my brain rug. Go ahead and on. I just want to um, echo what you said and go back to what Black said that, we need to understand that Web3, its origins, were not organic, that there were people that were here early, just like crypto. And so this is one of my biggest problems with the entire industry, is that if there were already inequalities that were established before everyone got here, then how are we going to prevent those from just continuously perpetuating? Because that's what's happened, is that right now, there is the Web3 that you see in mainstream Twitter, and that's like one perception of what Web3 is. And then there's the Web3 that's in this room. And, you know, this isn't the only space that is having these types of conversations. But to Kino's point, there is zero amplification around these types of groups and niches within the community. And there's a reason for that. It's because... I, and I don't know to what level of like actual coordination and premeditation or just to like how this kind of fell about naturally, but because those inequalities exist of when people came into this industry and, and the platforms that they actually presented to this industry that they'd already cultivated prior to Web3 that they've introduced and transitioned to Web3, and you know we know those names, it, it already has created an unfair advantage that they are very aware of. They are very aware that they are in the elitist class of this space and they'll do anything they can to protect it and to preserve it. And they'll do so with a smile on their faces as far as saying like, yeah, we want you to feel included when in reality you will always be down there and they will always be up here because that's the model. That's the structure of the current ecosystem. And they do all they can to reinforce that. Pain, let me make room for you, and then I'm going to close it down if that's okay. 
Yeah, no, this was a great conversation. Yo, I really appreciate everyone that was talking about this just because, like, I almost lost the plot for this conversation. Like, I hopped in because do additions degrade value? And, you know, I had a conversation yesterday about this um, inconclusive. I personally think that, like, it can. Um, but regarding what Anon was saying, like, I think that, like, what we've witnessed as um, the social component of Web3, which what was discussed is, like, people becoming raised by gatekeeping and clicks and then they start you know begin to gatekeep and develop clicks and this is kind of the echo chamber i've noticed since my space and like you know we often hate being left out until we have the authority to exclude others and like you know in my journey like i kind of feel like as an artist photographer i'm, I'm selling it, mints and stuff but like i feel like it's like there's a way i want to approach this because i do believe in decentralization even if the mechanics aren't there right now like um, you know, like helping people get their manifold contract and deploying stuff and just having fun that way. But I feel like there's a small flaw here because we talk about decentralization, but like I was trying to contact my the people that collected my works directly um, and I have to use Twitter, right? Even though I have their wallet addresses and I feel like they're, you know, we're still early. I think there might be some tools to better have, like, you know, when I came into this as an artist, what I thought was so beautiful was that like, I can connect directly to my target audience and people that support me as like you know the patron model so ever be the case and then you know um i feel like we have to like look at or redefine what community means in the sense and for me like i'm not an og here i'm just i just came here um did my thing and i'm building my corner of the internet and i think that we have to just be more supportive of everyone's corner of the internet and just have these these type of it does mimic the real world where there are people that have influence and they can wield it. And, you know, you might get shadowed for a bit, but don't give up. Just kind of build your corner of the internet and allow people to come by and visit um, just like these type of conversations. Um, sorry, I went on a rant, but what was the conclusion about additions devaluing the artist? Because I'm on the <laughs> fence about that right now. Sorry. Yeah, um, there weren't any conclusions made. I, I think that if there was a primary takeaway it is that additions can be used as a form of longevity marketing and making sure that you have a collection of data, kind of like an email list, especially with uh, with where technology is going as far as um, uh, like blockchain categorization. And I I, I've, I really want to like continue with both conversations actually, but um, additions as tools I think is extremely effective. And no, I don't think anybody said that additions innately uh, devalue you. Um, and the uh, the debate uh, about that actually kind of came from uh, last year. I, I don't know if you remember that when um, when collectors were saying that uh, additions bad for uh, for your floor price. But um, okay. yeah, that's where that's where that came from. So I, I, I actually agree with what you said, the sentiment like I, I used additions when I started out as a way to like, kind of give back to the community and just see and I think the data is super important. I was fortunate enough that like, a bunch of people collected it and like even this week i, I like to tr experiment with mechanics so like i was like burn the piece and like my community was like no the first picture is fire which is also funny and interesting but i think that that feedback's really necessary too in this space since we're so early like i only have four thousand followers on here i'm not a big account but what i like is that we can have these conversations and discussions and you can allow people to be a part of your journey in a small way um and then see like and have fun with it and i think that like that's it's where I'm looking at it is that it's a good way to connect with people directly. And I think that where I'm at in the space is I want to have deeper connections with the people that appreciate my art. Um, there's also a debate about like 
are you a collector or a speculator and, and all that stuff but like i feel like we're all human and there's a, there's a sort of empathy that you know as an artist i'm sharing my my world and you know people can appreciate it and having these beautiful conversations like i think that like that's where i'm at with it i don't know so this is about community and how you can and um kind of allowing people to share their perspective and just having these discussions i, I don't know maybe i'm just ranting on this sorry no, oh, you're fine. I, I appreciate you being here and all of your thoughts. Again, like I, I want to go off on it, but um, I think that uh, Black and I have uh, absolutely rugged brains right now. So we'll probably just end up bringing this back um, in the next space. I especially want to talk about, God, the, the algorithm and what that means for decentralization. Oh my God, there's so much. But let me do a very fluid segue into the Babelfish program. Um, the Babelfish program is something that I have set up. Um, let me start by introducing what the fuck a babel fish is a babel fish is an amazing person who is going to effectively like for now volunteer their time to support english as a second language speaker um or people who don't speak english at all um i believe that education is for everybody regardless of language geographic and culture and if you are interested in becoming a Babel fish, I now have a form that you can fill out. It's very quick where I just like ask you what languages you're interested in. Um, but for now, there's there's really not a lot that's expected. Um, this is going to be part of my uh, my initiative. And um, it, most of you know, I think, um, that the initiative um, just wants to make sure that um, we are allowing a, a global access of, uh, um, of communication and, uh, and education, excuse me. Um, the future of the Babelfish program, though, is I would like my volunteers to be able to learn from me personally, which may lead, if you want to, um, to your ability to teach in whatever language you want um, and earn an income doing so. So um, those are, uh, you can start signing up for those now if you would like to. Um, DM me for those links because the only literature I have it is on Discord right now. Um, and that program I'll be getting started here in the next couple of months. Um, the only other thing that I have to say once more is that 30-day challenge is starting right now. I'm sorry, uh, it's starting in February. And um, you can get notified for signups. Uh, the, uh, the goal of the 30-day challenge is to help you grow your social media presence as well as your reach. So by the end of those 30 days, you should see an increase in your followers, engagement, and overall visibility online. Like whatever your goal is, I tried to build this to make sure that you can achieve that by um, taking a look at your behaviors and giving you an idea of what opportunities are available for you. And this is done through improving the health of your account algorithm and also teaches you advanced social media management through a whole bunch of very easy steps over the course of 30 days. Um, so if you're interested in that, I just pinned it to the top. Please sign up for notifications and I hope to see you guys in February. Um, space is very limited. If you're a member, you have access to it immediately, but space for now is limited just so I can test it out and make sure it is as good as it can be before I roll it out publicly. It's free. It will be. And um, I'm just, I'm very excited about that. Um, Black Label, do you have anything to uh, show real quick before we end? Um, I'd, the only thing I'll show is the piece that we just went live with, or I just went live with at the Mesonante Fine Art Gallery in Rome. I've got that pinned up. Just, you don't, don't, you know, you can go buy it if you want, but I would love for you guys to just check it out. I'd love feedback. Um, the likes aren't showing up because Twitter hates everyone today. But other than that, um, it's just more like a social commentary. I would love feedback and just sort of, sort of the overall direction of that piece. 
I think the the last thing I'll say as sort of my final note on all of this, even though we kind of got into a space of Web3 bad and things are scary, I, I don't think that's, you know, the nature of what we're doing here. I believe in it. I've never been more passionate about anything professionally in my life. And I think that others who believe that too, you got to grind it out and you got to push. Um, and I think more than anything else, if you're a creator, you just have to create what it is you want to create and vibe with those who want your creations. And the more that you do that, the more that you speak on it, the more that you just share, fuck the algorithm, fuck likes, fuck all that stuff. And just actually do the thing that you want to do. I think I told uh, Kino over DMs earlier today, because Twitter's all crazy with analytics. Everything's like all messed up, like likes are disappearing, all that stuff. And I was like, honestly, like I feel relieved by that. I don't like it, but a part of me feels relieved because I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out since yesterday. Like I, I don't care. I think that you speak your truth, express the way you want to express, and that will resonate. As I've said in this space and others many times, that's going to resonate with those who it's going to resonate with. And those are your true people. Like those are your people. Those are the people who are going to collect, follow, engage. That's who they are. That's what we're here to do until there's other better options out there. And maybe people like Anon are going to bring those forward. Like you just got to do that. That's a part of the game and just stay true to who you are. Act in that passion, act in that path, and you will be on your way to becoming that. So I, I firmly believe that I there's massive hope. I believe in every single person here and their ability to achieve that for themselves. Mic drop. Chone, thank you. Ella, thank you so much for all of your time. Anon, Payne, Jeff, Illustrata, Branson, Joe, Leslie Coda, Steph, Dorothy. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, this happens, this marketing space, hello. Uh, the marketing space happens every Tuesday at uh, 1 p.m. MST, 3 p.m. EST. And I think that we're, we're probably actually going to talk about those metrics and uh, algorithm next time. So we're bringing back, you know, classic Kino space, I guess. Um, but yeah, I hope to see you guys there for that. Uh, thank you for all, all of your support and uh, we'll hopefully see you in the next one. Bye, friends. Thank you. Thank you.